0: Forever,
1: We are not alone in here. This week on the podcast, Paul Tremblay's "A Head Full of Ghosts." Hello, and welcome to another episode of Team Creeps, the podcast where we talk about '90s YA pulp fiction. I don't know why I switched the order with how I normally say that. uh it's earlier than we've ever recorded the podcast, and so I think I'm just in a different kind of mood. Um, we are covering A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. I am joined by a very special guest co-host. Um, you may know him from the podcast, What Even Is This? podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, out wherever you get any of your podcasts. Uh, creator, multi-hyphenate, really. Thanks. <laughs> you just had the deadest eyes when you said that to me thanks
2: well you were like what's your title and I was like I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um Lucas Eubank is here with hi, me Kelly. hi Lucas how are you I'm good
1: um we read A Head Full of Ghosts
2: so it's not 90s so what's this what am I on right now yeah is this I know a special it's episode? not
1: 90s it's a special episode I guess well here's the thing we covered Cabin at the End of the World
2: okay same author right
1: same author um I believe that was on Patreon. Mm. Yes,
2: mm. it was. So this is a play. This is a marketing play. Like, well, if you want to hear more about his other work, you got to subscribe to Patreon.
1: Yeah, I was like, let's retcon. Yeah, let's do it backwards. Um, I we read that book. Paul Tremblay immediately after that became one of my new favorite authors.
2: Yeah, I. You saw the movie.
1: Saw the movie did not like it.
2: Because mm-hmm, it misunderstood what he wrote. Yeah. Or it had its own take on what he wrote.
1: Yeah, well, so I had seen the movie before I'd read the book. Mm-hmm. And when I saw the movie, I felt meh about the movie. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alerts for the movie. I saw it with uh, Ryan and Patrick. And as it after it ended, we turned to each other and we were like, so the twist is that God's real? Mm. Like that's the twist, whereas mm-hmm. like, I think what Paul's doing in his book is much more thoughtful, much more nuanced. The events in the book are more cruel, but leaves you with more hope. Yeah. I thought it was a beautiful book that examines belief and faith and why we adhere to those things when sometimes we think that it's it's a way to contextualize things in the world that are perhaps too cruel, too fully understand mm-hmm. um and I think this it's a great so we talked about that on the podcast and everyone was like oh because we I had mentioned oh I have perch I had purchased the book um head full of ghosts a mm-hmm. while back
2: and um did you purchase it based on the book that the no at the, end of the world
1: no 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 so I did an episode of um that fear HQ show with Clark wolf
2: Mm-hmm I remember Clark really likes this author. Yes. Yeah.
1: And she had recommended both of these books, and so I bought them.
2: Mm-hmm. And it
1: had been on my to be read to to be to to read pile for a long time. And then after I read Cabin at the End of the World, I was like, Oh my god, I need to read this next book. Yeah. And everyone, you know, listeners were like, Oh my god, like please, 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 please cover a head full of ghosts and also oh, it would good. be a good fit for the main feed. I'm
2: glad your audience likes it because you were just reading reviews and we were, you were, we were like, what? Yeah, I know. The, the, the
1: reviews are pretty whack. Like, I, I would say overall it has four stars. Most people yeah, love this most book. most
2: people like it and like, you yeah. don't go leave a comment usually like positive comment i think positive comments are harder to leave like yeah. i'm not going to leave a positive comment i should you know yeah. give the podcast five stars but like i only like comment on stuff i hate well this is the I thing is i like to spread negativity yeah
1: yeah that's <laughs> that's the vibe of those people right they're yeah. like i want to spread the toxins that are in my body <laughs>
2: yeah. i got to get i got to make other people feel this
1: yeah but actually like i almost never leave negative reviews yeah. unless something is like abhorrent yeah or like you know, whatever. Like, but even then, I'm like, I don't really do yeah, that.
2: I don't. I was more just trying to put myself in the no, eyes of someone. I don't leave reviews at all. You don't at all. <laughs> uh,
1: you uh, exist in a private little bubble, and nothing uh-huh. enters or leaves. Yep.
2: But <laughs> you know, like the general person on the internet is an idiot, and they're very mad. Yes, that's what I've got gathered for from 15 years on the internet.
1: Yeah, 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 and especially 16? like you do a lot of things on the internet that people interact with, right? And I feel like. People are very vocal when they're unhappy.
2: Right, yes. So the reviews were, some of them were pretty insane.
1: They were like very, I don't want to- You should be
2: able to review reviews. Yeah,
1: I I feel like you should be able to like comment and be like, you are moronic.
2: Yeah, I'm going to give this one star review two stars because you missed (laughs) the point.
1: (laughs) A little bit better. I
2: like the I like your writing style. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a lot of passion in here. But
1: yeah. I mean, it, like, it, I, I do think that a lot of these people did miss the point. And then there were just like some reviews that I'm just like puzzled by. So like, so, so obviously, I feel like people that and, and I'm not, I'm not here to say, like, if you disagreed with me, you're an idiot, because like, yeah. there are plenty of ways that someone might not like this book that I'm like, oh, I see that it's just not to your taste. Yeah, right. Like, if you don't like ambiguity.
2: Right. Because I, I think there were, like, a dozen ways you could interpret the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, So then it sort of becomes what you wanted it to be. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't like what you made it, then, I mean, I understand that, I guess.
1: But also, isn't that interesting, right? So I love when books do this. I think mm-hmm. Cabin at the End of the World did this. Mm-hmm. So we were saying the end of the book can be interpreted as what you want it to yeah, be. Yeah,
2: and that's the point.
1: That's the point. That's, that's the what point. everyone in this book is doing. It is doing. about belief. It's about, it's and, and it's about like, if you pick and choose, cherry pick all these different facts presented to you
0: mm-hmm.
1: in this book or as a character in this life, then you can choose to believe whatever it is you want to believe. Mm-hmm. Whatever's easiest for you to believe, right? Right. You can prefer, I, I mean, so I read this book twice. I read it, um On a plane, literally just a plane there and a plane back. I read Mm -hmm. it. Um, And then I read it again this morning, kind of more of a skim. But I'm so glad I did because I saw so many things later that I was like, this book is so meticulously written.
2: Mm -hmm. And to never give you like, is that what you mean? To never fully give you a an answer Mm -hmm. and i like that because life doesn't have that answer
1: exactly and and the thing that i like about this is that the only thing we can say for sure is that sometimes life is sad yeah and sometimes life is hard Mm -hmm. and that's it like that's the only thing we know for sure about what happened in this book um i also or also just like little things that it's like because i hadn't really fully examined and it's funny that this happened but i and maybe this is Oh my God. Okay, I'm having epiphanies here. here. Because in my first reading of this book, I was fully examining the motivations and thoughts and feelings of everybody but Marjorie, the girl Mm -hmm. who gets the exorcism. Mm -hmm. Because she was an unpredictable force. I didn't fully understand her. Yeah. And that's what everybody in this book is doing. No one is thinking about what is Marjorie really experiencing? Right?
2: They did that. With yeah, I think it was specifically done that Marjorie is sort of glossed over the whole book. Mm-hmm. Like it's never really talked about, like what she looks like, what mm-hmm. she's like. You know, it's she's like weary and stuff like that, but not like physical attributes. Uh, and we know just, her hair is brown. And yeah, long. she's kind of like skipped over. Mm-hmm. Like that's sort of how she's written about. Um, and you know, it's from the perspective Except of the daughter. For
1: moments when she's being scary, right? When and then it's like such detail. Mm-hmm.
2: And now we're all paying attention to Marjorie, but
1: even. Even in like the beginning, before she starts really descending into either possession or uh, the throes of untreated mental illness, um, th- I she she tells a story, and and we'll we'll get into the plot a little bit. But she tells a story that I then, in my second reread, I was like, oh, she it could be interpreted that she did believe everything that she told. Mm-hmm specifically in that story in some way the growing things story the where Vines we find them yeah. yeah specifically that she was afraid and I guess we'll spoil it now well maybe we won't just remind me to come back to this mm-hmm. to the growing things story and how that means that maybe she could have believed that and it wasn't because the, I think it's very reductive of me to be like oh well she was just crazy yeah right that she did believe and had reason to believe the things she believed right to do her final act
2: yeah Okay, I'll remind you.
1: Thank you. So I really wanted to talk to you about this book because it is mostly about a relationship between an older sibling and a younger sibling.
2: Yes, and you know that I'm a younger sibling.
1: I know that you are a youngest Mm -hmm. sibling. I'm
2: the youngest of all the siblings. Of all the siblings in the world. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm so young and small.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm an older sibling. Yeah. The oldest sibling of all the siblings in the world. Mm -hmm. And I felt like this book kind of gave me a view into, because I found that Paul Tremblay is very good at writing children. So good. And I was like, oh, I'm now seeing kind of bits of what my little sister was probably thinking. And it was very heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Because I wasn't always kind to my sister. Yeah. And like, I knew all the things that that were going through my head, but I don't think I fully understood because a lot of stories have like, oh, the little sibling looks up to their older sibling in yeah. a vague way. But This is so specific. This was
2: really, really well written about like the idolization of from a small child to their older sibling. Yeah. Really, really well written. Like it was reminding me of the way that I thought that I'd forgotten about. Because really? it's such a small like period of your life, um, you know, as a younger sibling, depending, you know, the age gap. But like that time in your life from like, you know, zero years old to like, 12 to 14 mm-hmm. area where you stop losing that idolization it's such a small part of your life that you forget about because it ultimately i mean they're formative years but they're not like you're years, not thinking about them all the, mm-hmm. all the time yeah they're not years that i need to call upon for i mean some people they really dwell on those years but i don't <laughs> i forgot pretty much everything that happened from zero to 12 yeah uh, and this really reminded me of exactly how i was and how my brothers my older brothers were my heroes and like really like my, fully like you yeah. thought they were yeah they they were who i was going to be and it was cool cuz i had two of them so mm-hmm. it's like i get to be the combination of like everything that they are mm-hmm. i'm going to be i'm going to be just like them uh they play basketball i'm going to play basketball you mm-hmm. know just that kind of thing like of course i'm going to do this thing mm-hmm. i'm a Eubank. my brothers did that
0: mhm
1: mhm there was a part that i noticed where and and i i loved these like specific details so he's writing about um So we open this story uh, through the eyes of Mary, uh, short for Meredith, but also I know he. uh, this book is dedicated to, in part, Shirley Jackson. Mm -hmm. So I did see the um, kind of like the little Easter eggs and also like homage, not necessarily homage, but I would say kind of like admiration for We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which is one of my favorite fucking books ever, 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 ever by Shirley Jackson. The main character is named Maricat. Uh, M-E-R-R-I. Uh, and in that book, the thing that we learn is that she poisoned her entire family uh, and knew her, in order to protect her older sister who was being molested by the father.
2: I see. And
1: she knew that her sister never took sugar in her uh, like berries mm-hmm. and everyone else did. And so she poisoned
2: the sugar. Mm.
1: And in this... Something very similar happens. Yeah, like a kind of a, never, a flip of it. She
2: never eats the sauce, so mm-hmm. she won't get poisoned or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um. But uh, uh, So we're in in the head of Maricat as she's not Maricat Mary, Sheriff uh, Meredith as she's recounting her story to a best-selling author, Rachel, who is going to write a story about
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: like a final, like the definitive what happened. Yeah. Uh, with the uh, their their family story cuz um there have been many there was a reality show with them
2: right so so yeah it was it was mostly about that probably that you've heard of this girl you this mm-hmm. is the girl that's alive mm-hmm. from you know the one that the one from the reality show because it was like national headline news that that weird reality show where they did that exorcism that everyone was watching that family just died mm-hmm. like everybody in that family just died mhm uh, mm-hmm. And they were poisoned by the father.
1: Mm-hmm. And then now it's like years later, mm-hmm. she's like twenty three she's telling the story. Finally, we're gonna get to what really happened. Mm-hmm. But even she is like, "I don't know that I know what really happened. Mm-hmm. Um And there's a lot of like really interesting moments of um her saying, like, like that she is afraid that she will conflate what the media has said happened, what family members have said happened with what she experienced. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to mention there is a part that I thought was really interesting. It was just like a quote um, where she says, um, so she gives like an example of this like marriage encounters, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is like her parents went, she's like, I'm just gonna show you an example of like how, what really happened and what yeah. we believe happened is different. yeah. and there's like rumors of, okay, her parents went to um this like Bible marriage encounters thing, and her dad had always been really religious, and her mom wasn't. And he said that the wife should obey the husband out of he read it out of the Bible. She storms off. They go to a casino. Mm-hmm. They leave early and he takes her to a casino to say, sorry. And she's like, well, like, so not all that is true. Like, my dad wasn't really going to church at that at that time. He had in the past. My mom was not religious. We don't know what he said to her. Maybe he did, did say that to her. Sounds like mm-hmm. something he'd say, but we don't know. And yeah. all I know as a child was that they were away. Yeah. And that's it. And then, like, the thing that I knew was that my aunt would sing me songs because I was scared to fall asleep. Yeah. And that's all I know. And I thought that was really interesting of, like, her truth is, like, her experience of it is this completely different like child experience. Yeah, it might
2: be different from what she's remembering because she has like a false memory and yeah. that she's decided to forget some stuff.
1: Right. Or that like, kind of like, it, it, it. I feel like it kind of hints at what people like to do with stories like these, like real, real like true crime mm-hmm. or...
2: Yeah, drawing connections. Yes, like they really, love doing that. Really trying to draw a connection somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's like there's a million things that happen to someone in a day and they're like, but this right here, this thing that they wrote about, this yeah. thing that's public info, that's the reason. Like, yeah. Mm, maybe.
1: Yeah. Or even like sometimes like kind of fabricating a thing and being like, well, this like mm-hmm. it would make sense. Yeah. Because they feel like they're participating in like real time mythologizing of this event. Yeah. But it's the you forget that there is a real person at the center. Of right. This. And I think that's kind of why I think some true crime is rather ghoulish.
2: Yeah.
1: um, And. I I it's important to remember and I'm not saying like hashtag not all true crime but like I I do
2: feel that some is it's sort of got like a well I know better like I would have never been in this situation yeah yeah like looking at it you know retroactively posthumously Mm -hmm. posthumously Posthumously. uh, most of the time it's like it's very easy to draw these connections and such, but you weren't the person living through this.
1: Mm -hmm. And also it's very human to just look at this as a story. Mm -hmm. Because if you were to truly understand- Put
2: a nice little beginning, middle, and into it, conflict Mm -hmm. and resolution and and answers. But it's like, yeah, if you were really there, it was chaos for this person.
1: Yeah, exactly. But you're
2: organizing the chaos into something. Yes. Because we we need to You know what?
1: It's so interesting you mentioned that because the next thing that I highlighted- is um, it's just this moment where she's hiding in her room and this is later in the book. And this is a very creepy part. It's, um, it's later in the book and it's like when the exorcisms are about to happen and Marjorie has acted very scary. Mm-hmm. And Mary, so uh, the ages here are, I believe Mary is, if she's in second grade, that would make her how old?
2: Like seven or eight.
1: Okay, and then her sister's 14. 14. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. About
2: five, six year difference probably.
1: Um, And she's like, she has this little cardboard house in her room. And mm-hmm. I love that specific detail of that cardboard house because it feels very, just like real, like we all have something that we were obsessed with in our room. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes this scary thing to her. She doesn't want it in her room anymore because mm-hmm. Marjorie uses it to scare her.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And it becomes this perversion because inside of the room, she's drawn Marjorie as a warrior woman Which also I thought was a really lovely, naive, like the pure idolization of your Mm -hmm. older sibling. Yeah, is that something that you would have done, something like that? I think
2: so. Yeah, I probably would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that kind of thing. Like your older siblings are your heroes at that age when you're like Mm -hmm. six or Mm -hmm. like under ten.
1: And she says, like, I welcomed even abuse from her because, like, the worst thing was to be ignored Mm -hmm. and not paid attention to. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, and that was that's that's very true for younger sibling stuff too. Like you're you're running into their room at all times of the day, and they're yelling at you to get Mm -hmm. out. But you're like, I just want to like I want to be yelled at. Yeah, you know, like I want to be I want to fucking I want to mess with your shit. Yeah, yeah. I just like the attention.
1: Mm Hmm. Um. But in this scene, and kind of what you're saying, like uh, how the brain likes to try to make patterns out of chaos. Yeah. Um. So she's. It was so she. It's the middle of the night. She like hears something. In her little cardboard house, and she thinks it might be Marjorie mm-hmm. who has been being very scary this mm-hmm. whole book.
0: Yeah.
2: At
1: this point, ha- has been very, very scary. She's being a
2: little freak. She's yeah. sneaking in, she's like, I hold your nose closed yeah. until your eyes pop open. Yeah. When you're sleeping. And we're yeah. like, what?
1: Yeah. And like at this point too, she has like vomited bright green shit at the table. Yeah. She is like spoken in weird Cthulhu tongue. Yeah. She's done.
2: Oh, okay. So this is so this is later. This, in is, the later. Book. this gotcha. is like
1: the the crew has moved into the into gotcha. the place, and she has. This is the scene. Um,
2: is this the scene where she's like hiding?
1: Where? Uh, oh no no no! This is before. I'm sorry. So this is this is like foreshadowing when she hides in there and chokes herself. Yeah. This is right before. It was even darker inside the cardboard house than it was in my room. Like how deeper water is darker than the shallows. I backed away from the house, but my traitorous eyes kept staring at the window. I wasn't sure if I was seeing things or not, but the shutters appeared to be moving slightly as though the house were breathing. And I stared hard past the window and into the house. My eyes starved for patterns, desperate for data, clues, for something to process. The longer I stared and saw nothing, the more I could see Marjorie there, huddled, nesting in my blankets, waiting to reach through the window and grab me if I got close again. Or maybe she was giggling to herself and spidering around the cardboard walls and ceiling, waiting to drop and sink her fangs into my neck. Or worse, maybe she was the victim trapped inside and she wanted me to help her, but I didn't know how to help her. Like mm-hmm. that, yeah, I feel like is so emblematic of the entire book yeah. where it's like, I don't understand what I'm seeing so I'm just gonna like create an explanation.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that it's cool what this book can do and it really like, the format of, of a novel is like really highlighted here because I've heard that they're going to try to make a movie out of this. Yes. Um, and it's like a, a scene like that would read differently. Mm-hmm. We get all this like internal exposition of like, here's what I'm thinking, but if we saw it, then it would answer the question right away. Like Marjorie, like if we see a little girl in that, mm-hmm. and it's Marjorie in that house, it'd be like, okay, Marjorie's possessed. But like mm-hmm. we get to hear that like I'm probably just seeing things, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and like and then if you do that in the movie where she's like I'm probably just seeing things, it's like we saw it too. Like no, you're not. Like you okay, maybe it's
1: this then. It's hard. To, it's harder to do it. in a movie. I'm gonna pitch it. Paul, I'll <clears throat> direct your movie. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, I have thoughts too. I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna pitch it. Okay. So here's here's what I think you could do with a scene like this, right? Mm-hmm. You could do because like okay, you know that scene in um Hereditary where that one guy is naked in the background, smiling in the Mm -hmm. dark. So you have it so dark where she's looking and you have it so, 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 so dark. And I think in some, you keep flashing back and forth between her face and Mm -hmm. the shots. Sometimes there is something there and sometimes there's not.
2: Yeah, and I think you 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 need to set up in the beginning of the movie that this is an unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. child.
1: It's a child. And And we need to
2: see that somehow too.
1: And I think it's so, I loved the moment that where Marjorie is like, I'm faking it. Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to save the family. Yeah. Because also, she could believe that Mm -hmm. because what is happening to her is so scary.
2: And this was a thing that, again, the book can do that a movie would have a lot of trouble with Mm -hmm. is that the things that Mary is experiencing from Marjorie, she tells them in such a way that, like, in a movie, this would be a really, really scary scene. But she is a kid, and it's her older sibling. So she's like stop you're scaring me mm-hmm. and but like if we saw it it would be terrifying you know what i mean but it's like she's not even thinking that there's some sort of possession mm-hmm. she's like seven she doesn't understand that yeah
1: she really doesn't She's just
2: being like she's like my sister is being mean to me mm-hmm. that's what that's the way she tells it that's the what that's what she believes
1: well also i loved there are some things too where like when her sister finally says like i am possessed she when she's like I'm not possessed by Satan and she's like oh, okay it's when they're in the basement mm-hmm. she's like but I am possessed by something older
0: mm-hmm.
1: and in her head she pictures the little girl when she says I am possessed she just pictures like a big green hand clomping yeah. over her sister mm-hmm. and that is such like a childlike thing to think too yeah. right like oh like imagine just quickly briefly
2: yeah um
1: but I let's I guess let's go over like the what. Let's learn the information. Let's reveal the information as the book reveals yeah. it because I think it's really cool and effective. Yeah. Like, and how cruelly we find out the fate of the family, I love. Mm. Like, it's so just aside. Yeah. So, Mary is telling, um, someone is just backing the shit up on the street. It they're, starts
2: with, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're doing some construction out there. Yeah,
1: they are. they oh, yeah. Okay. So,
2: it starts with, um, mary as an adult talking to this uh writer
1: Mm -hmm. and this is another thing it's another thing too of like she is presenting this information as the this is what happened Mm -hmm. so again there is
2: finally i'm telling my side of the story that no one's heard
1: yes yeah but she does have motivation
2: well especially if she's possessed
1: (laughs) right because at the end of the book we see her breath she in the, might, the room, she it's might cult. have a
2: head full of ghosts. She might have a head full of ghosts. I mean, not anymore. They just came out of her breath. <laughs> <laughs> she got one. She got one less ghost.
1: <laughs> well, you think that's what happens? Yeah, that's, I mean,
2: that's one ghost going away. Yeah.
1: Um, but she. Okay, so she starts off.
2: She's like early twenties, right? Yeah, she's, she, like she's twenty three. Twenty three. Yeah.
1: And they're in the house that it all happened in. Yeah. And all we know at this point is that something bad happened. Yeah. And we don't know what. And she's like, Okay, I'll tell you what happened. And then we cut to a blog of a, a blog. Yeah. A horror blog written by uh, Rachel um
2: Rachel under a pen name. Oh,
1: you know what? I am
2: Or uh, not Rachel, um Mary under a pen name.
1: Yeah, Mary under a pen name, Karen Brissett. Yes. Who is actually a? You were telling me.
2: I think I saw that she might be a bookstore owner that yeah. Paul Tremblay like knows IRL.
1: Yeah, there are some cute little like things like uh, the the name of the um her tutor later you noticed yeah is Stephen Graham Jones who's the writer of uh of um, My Heart Is a Chainsaw yeah so I think that's like a that's a cute thing to yeah, do to like your friends your or friend people into you the admire book. yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah and he says in the in the book like I always remembered his name cuz that's how it was that's how he said it to me Stephen Graham Jones and I wonder if like that's how Paul actually met. Yeah. Yeah this guy said all three names to me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: um so yeah so they're they're in this house uh we assume something bad happened and then it cuts to this blog mm-hmm. and we don't know who's writing it because it's under a pen name at the time so that's how it's presented to us. Right.
1: And um the and yeah that that all we know it's a it's this Blog that's like covering the story of what happened, and I and and like dissecting it, it. and it's
2: dissecting the reality TV show.
1: Yes, that covered the 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 incident, but also like dissecting it through a very like new academia lens.
2: Yeah, it's kind of deliberately like annoying. Yes, like young girl blog. Yes,
1: it's like an annoying like horror girl blog, Mm -hmm. and it's also debunking every. It is like nothing crazy happened. Mm It is no, it was not a possession. It was just, yeah, this reality show taking advantage of this family, mm-hmm. and it is so intensely like this didn't happen, this didn't happen
2: yeah here is here's a um explanation for everything. here's a scientific explanation mm-hmm. for why this would have happened,
1: mm-hmm. but it also ignores some stuff, mm-hmm. and so it's a really it's really interesting, like we're seeing this character. Both tell this story to this writer, but then also tell the story to an audience in different ways. Mm-hmm. and I feel like i I really liked how it was kind of like sometimes when you look back on mm, a tendency for the overly therapized mm-hmm. to look back on your past mm-hmm. is to third person it right that happened to this person and also to and I'm not saying therapy is bad, I'm not like a Scientologist, I love therapy. <laughs> I do this myself.
2: I am a Scientologist, <laughs> so that's unrelated. I don't know why you said that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but like, when I look back on like really hard things that happened to me, a lot of times I will like dissect it mm-hmm. intellectually and intellectualize my trauma so that way it doesn't hurt me yeah. as much. And, it, and the reveal that the person, that Karen Brissett is her, mm-hmm. I thought was really effective and yeah sad
2: yeah because she's talking about it in such a like critique um Mm -hmm. and she's Mm -hmm. you know all these characters in this reality show it's her family but she's being like that was annoying the dad is like this gross guy Mm -hmm. the mom Mm -hmm. is you know she she sucks and she's uninvolved and clearly she doesn't care about this family Mm -hmm. but like but then she gives like them some like redeeming quality it truly feels like she doesn't uh, it's academia she yeah, she and she is so disconnected from it that it it truly feels like it doesn't affect her mm-hmm. so that I mean, you know that it does. Mm-hmm. so, like, what what's going through her head, actually? You know,
1: you know what it is. Her
2: blog,
1: I know that it's like it's such an accurate portrayal of what I consider to be ghoulish true crime. Mm-hmm. It's very flip, yeah, um. And that's not to say that you can't face like I, I personally really like last podcast on the left. I'm not saying that you can't find like gallows humor and shit. Yeah. Like, I think it's a very human thing to, to find humor in, in, in horrible, unimaginable things. Yeah. Like I have made jokes about my own shit that I've gone through, you know, Mm -hmm. like it is like, it's only human to be like, LOL (laughs) Mm -hmm. at the gates of hell.
2: Yeah. Yeah um but she's sort of doing like the annoying thing. <laughs> she's where, being annoying yeah, about it. Yeah. She's like um like for instance just talking about like these people like their characters. Yeah. And she's critiquing a reality show that's a real family. Mhm. And it's like it's a reality show. What do you mean? Like it's mm-hmm. what you, why are you critiquing the camera work of it?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just annoying. Yeah. Um but also it's like that like not valid, but like it is like valid criticism of this reality show. Mm -hmm. Like it is still stands as like, to be a valid critique of the art of this reality show Mm -hmm. and like explains why they use certain shots, why they cut the mom so mean. Yeah, (laughs) Um, It all makes sense.
2: Yeah, and it's fun to juxtapose it with the stuff she chooses to tell and not, you know, the stuff that then we cut back to her real life, uh, her telling Mm -hmm. of what happened to her as a child and it's like she's omitting a lot of stuff from the blog. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, to be a good uh, anonymous writer, I guess. Yeah. Because if you give away too much, then it would be like, how do you know that? Yeah. But yeah. So we cut to those blogs. That's like that's only like two or three chapters, mm-hmm. those blogs. But then um, we I think after the blog, we start in the home mm-hmm. and she's a child. Mm-hmm. She's
1: like, well, where do we begin? I guess like when I was eight.
2: Yeah. And
1: the first instance, so she and her sister have this like ritual where she has these Richard Scary books mm-hmm. and she's too old to be reading them, but her and her parents are like, You need to be reading like chapter books, and so she carries them around, pretends she reads them. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, because she's like, I don't give a shit about those books. They're stupid. All I care about is the stories that me and my sister make up
2: mm-hmm.
1: um about the characters in the Richard Scary book. She's like, I don't care about these Richard Scary characters. Yeah.
2: They, like, draw and write over the actual pages, mm-hmm. um, their own stories.
1: And the stories are always, like, Marjorie tells the story, and it's about um, Mary. Like, she she calls the characters after Mary and Marjorie. Mm-hmm. And um, they always have, like, she has, like, some kind of input with the story where she'll, like, say she likes it, and she'll change it, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they draw over the characters. Yeah. And she has this little ritual where she, like, finds goldbug in this and then mm-hmm. on her own. And then once she finds it, she runs to her sister's room, and then her sister tells her a story. And mm-hmm. then they draw it together. And I really loved that feeling of the ritual and like how excited she is to do it every single time because it's this thing, yeah. And to me, it was very representative of, like, the joy of staying in childhood,
2: yeah. And it was I thought it was so well presented that like at the start of the story, we're in this sort of transitionary phase where like Marjorie's going through puberty and she's mm-hmm. getting her own friends and she has a, she has her own phone and stuff. So, mm-hmm. She has a laptop. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Mary is experiencing her sister growing up but she doesn't understand it because she's so young still. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we've always done these Richard Scary books do you have any time to do them now? And Marjorie is being a good sister sometimes and being like, okay, if you're good or like if you mm-hmm. do this for me, I'll tell you a story, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. But because yeah. she's feeling, like Mary's feeling a lot of disappointment that her sister's changing. She doesn't yeah. understand it.
1: Yeah, like the door is closed now mm-hmm. sometimes.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And um, she respects her boundaries, but still she'll like call through the keyhole. She's like, I'm ready. You promised, you promised. Mm-hmm and then this kind of this moment is so pivotal because it marks kind of like the beginning of or it's at, it doesn't mark the beginning because it's always been happening mm-hmm. but it's an a memorable moment because she comes in and marjorie's being like a little weird she's like look at my room like doesn't it look different like do you like it because she's like rearranges it all the
2: time mm-hmm.
1: and i remember we were talking about this book earlier and you mentioned that you really liked how she looks at her sister's room
2: yeah, did you find that moment in the book I did. when you reread it? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember exactly because it's it's been a couple of weeks since I read this, but it was like something like she really likes going into her sister's mm-hmm. room because it she feels like comforted that it's like a roadmap for her future. Like it, she just sees um, what she's going to be. Uh, so like when she walks into this room, um, she feels sort of like no uncertainty almost for the future.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: it's something like that.
1: Yes, it is. I just, I just want to find it. Uh, uh, So she, she bullies her way into the room. Because I was convinced that I was going to grow up to be exactly like Marjorie, entering her room was like discovering a living, breathing map of my future and a map with consistently shifting geography. Marjorie was always rearranging her bed, her dresser, desk, assorted bookcases and milk crates filled with the most current accessories of her life. She even would rotate her posters, calendar and astronomy decorations on the walls, With each permutation, I'd remodel the interior of my cardboard house to match hers. I never told her I did that. And that too, where she like changes what the Mm -hmm. inside of her cardboard house looks like. Yeah, And like, I never told her I did that. That's like so cute. It's like her Mm -hmm. own little secret.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah, but she's, so she's noticing that her sister's always rearranging. mm -hmm. Uh, And we find out though that that's, um, she doesn't remember doing that a lot of times.
1: Yes. I also liked this moment. I slowly tiptoed in, careful not to trigger any unseen tripwires that might set off Marjorie and her increasingly unpredictable mood swings. Any perceived transgression on my part could spark an argument that would end with either my crying and running to my cardboard house or with dad's brutish method of mediating, i.e. his yelling the loudest and longest. I stood in the center of her room's centerless X and my heart rattled like a quarter loose in a dryer. I loved every second of it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's like being a, a younger sibling. Yeah.
1: Did you, did you have any like little rituals that like you always did with your brothers or either of your brothers that like, they kind of stopped wanting to do? Do you remember any?
2: There, certainly, I just, I don't remember them. I know there were. Um, You know, when I would get scared, sometimes like an older brother would like sleep in my bed with Mm -hmm. me. And that stopped, you know, I remember that stopping. And it's like, now I have to be brave um And like, <clears throat>
1: was it like you were like, I don't really understand why mm-hmm. you don't want to do that with me anymore? Yeah,
2: exactly. It's like what changed, but you don't really understand like the like development and like growth of like life yet. Mm-hmm. You're just like, I thought we were gonna do this for infinity. Yeah. You know? Um. So, yeah, because yeah, you don't understand. That. You will change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But so she goes in there, and her sister's like, "Okay, like I have a new story for you. I already like drew the pictures. Yeah. And Marjorie's like." Or Meredith is or Mary's like, Oh, like I thought we do it together. And she's like, No, but this is like a special story, yeah. And usually the stories, oh my God, and also like the way he writes her little because she would she would transcribe the little stories later mm-hmm. into the book. And, um, the way that he writes what she would write the little story to be sounds so much like what a little kid, yeah. would write. So this is like, this is an example of the kinds of stories they would write together that she would then transcribe into the book. Mary the cat was late for work at the shoe factory when she got trapped in the sticky molasses. She was so mad her hat flew off of her head. She was stuck all day and all night. She was stuck there in the middle of the road for days and days until a bunch of friendly ants came and ate all the molasses. Mary the cat cheered and took the cats home with ants home with her. She built them a huge ant farm so that they would stay. Mary the cat talked to them all the time, gave all of them names that began with the letter A and she always fed them their favorite food, molasses. The stories in my scary book were short and weird and had oddly happy or reassuring endings. Marjorie was the main source of the stories, and she named all the characters after me, of course. Um, So she expects that.
2: Yeah, and she, what she gets instead is uh, a pretty uh, spooky story. Yeah. It's, and it's about uh, real events.
1: Yes, the uh, uh, gruesome <laughs> recounting of the molasses
2: yeah. disaster like, in Boston. Yeah, some molasses disaster in Boston, and it. She's like, in. I looked it up. It really happened, and she's like, I didn't look it up before. I just knew that.
1: And she's like, I, f- I just know things. Like, she's mm-hmm. like, I've known them always. Yeah, and I just know them, and she, and it scares Mary. She's like, I don't like this yeah, story. Yeah, why did you tell me this? And she's like, I don't want to do stories from this book anymore. I want to do it from the Richard Scary book,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and. Marjorie's like, I can't make that promise.
2: Yeah. <laughs> she's,
1: she's like, she's what? She's being
2: kind of mean and, yeah. and scary. And scary. Yeah. like
1: She's like, don't come in my room anymore. Because she's like, where'd you get that book? And she's like, from your room. And she's like, why? What? Like when I was sleeping? Mm-hmm. She's like, no, I heard you playing in your house. And I heard you talking to yourself and your animals. And I looked into your window and I saw you. And I took the book. And it was really easy. Mm-hmm. I sneak in there all the time. And she was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so then she like makes.
2: She made a trap. On her door. Yeah. Like a bucket of something. Yeah. Like if you come in here, the bucket's going to fall on you.
1: Yeah. And this is the other thing. So this is like the first kind of it could go both ways thing. Yeah. She makes this like sentry uh, of like this bucket. Yeah. That's going to fall. And she like places traps and she puts the book like deep inside of this tower of books. And if you try to pull it out, you you spill all the books. Mm -hmm. So there's no way you could get the book out. Yeah. She goes to sleep. She wakes up, the book is gone, replaced with another book, and her thing is still there. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what? Like, Mm -hmm. how could she have gotten this? But at the same time, is a trap made by an eight-year-old good enough to stop someone? But at the same time, later on, when Meredith is being Marjorie's being scary as shit and clinging to the wall like a spider, Mm -hmm. her mom brings her into the room and gets hit
2: with the bucket by the bucket. Yeah.
1: So an adult would get, but the mom is distressed and yeah. scared about her daughter, so she's distracted. Right.
2: And Marjorie is creep- creeping around and had all the time in the world yeah. to assess the situation. Yeah,
1: Marjorie literally creeping
2: around. Yeah, she's being a she's being an absolute freak at she's night. She's
1: being a cre- she, the freaks come out at night. Yeah, let me tell you, she's being so she's freaky. doing
2: like hours worth of creep stuff at night. Yes, she's creeping around for hours, hours, just fucking with people.
1: Seriously, she's like creeping, 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 and that's and I love that because so he quotes. Yellow wallpaper at the beginning of this book. Yeah. And literally what that woman ends up doing spinning around the room is she's creeping. She creeps. Like it's said that she's creeping. Yeah. She just creeps around the room all night. Mm -hmm. And that's what fucking Marjorie is doing in this house all night. Creeping, Mm -hmm. creeping, creeping. Yeah. So then she finds a little note in her room Mm -hmm. in the morning and it says it's written in green crayon and it's like, you're so pretty when you sleep. I plugged your nose and you gasped for air. (laughs) See you tomorrow.
2: (laughs) And she's like, what the hell? So scary. Yeah. And it's like, that's when, yeah, things kind of change right then. And yes, like that's that's a bit of a uh, moving on into like act two Mm -hmm. area Um, because then we're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Maybe this girl's possessed or something. Although at this point, what did you think? Did you think a haunting possession? I think it was around this point I started to think it was a mental illness.
1: I began with thinking it was a mental illness when she was really good at creeping. Yeah. I was like, maybe a demon's helping her. I don't know, because how is she so good at creeping? Right. But also, to an eight-year-old, anybody can be good at creeping. Yeah. You know, like it's her older fucking sister. Also, she she made like a little, she was bad at trying to pull out the book, but she has the dexterity of an eight-year-old. Right and maybe it's very easy to switch it out and maybe she sleeps really hard we yeah. don't know yeah and then i loved this too the theme of or the beginnings the whispers of sometimes your parents can't help you mm-hmm. sometimes things are too scary and they can't help you
2: yeah or they don't know what to do or right. the the problem solving that they do is bad right or something like that yeah but it's the beginning the real of the world stuff
1: but the beginning of it materializing as her mom sleeps with her one night mhm And she wakes up and there's a fucking growing vine vine drawn drawn on her hand. Yeah. Which means that Marjorie came in even though her mom was sleeping there and got to her anyway. Mm -hmm. So like that thing of like, that's the beginning of like, well, sometimes your parents can't help you. Yeah, And then it's like it evolves into and they can actively harm
2: you Mm -hmm. in trying to help you. Right. Based on the title of the book Mm -hmm. um, and what I knew from what you told me about Cabin at the End of the World. When I started reading this book, I was thinking, um, this is going to be a book about uh, mental illness. Mm -hmm. And that idea changed several times throughout. Yeah. Until like the last couple of chapters, I was like, I think I get it now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So at this point, with the hand on the, the vine on the hand, Mm -hmm. because also let's, before we get into the, we need to talk, give context to the vine. Mm hmm so this do you remember tells the story, this story yeah. yeah the growing vine story you just
2: read it so remember remind me <laughs> um <laughs> i remember most of it but i know that you it's just very fresh over, in yeah. my mind
1: literally moments ago i've read this mm-hmm. um so her sister's like okay so i have like another really important story just keep this one she's in like, your head you need to remember this she's like forever. remember this and mm-hmm. this is after she's like puked up green at the table she's very sick
0: mm-hmm.
1: like she just keeps and it's not projectile vomiting. She's just opening her mouth Mm -hmm. and vomit falls out. Mm -hmm. And this is after her first visit with the psychiatrist who's not helping her really. Right. Because the psychiatrist is ill equipped Mm
0: -hmm.
2: to
1: deal with this, which what appears to be schizophrenia. Yeah. But so she goes upstairs and she's like, what's wrong with you? And she's like, I don't know. I'm really not well. And that moment was really sad to me. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have a moment like that where your older sibling like admitted to you like I'm not okay Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and like
1: you didn't know what to do.
2: Hmm, I don't think so.
1: I think it might be a boys thing, like yeah. how you are socialized. Yeah. As boys in the Midwest particularly, or in the South, actually.
2: Yeah, the Southern Midwest. Yeah, the Southern Midwest. Yeah, Uh, I, I don't remember that ever really happening. Yeah. Really? Not I, when I was that young.
1: Yeah, not when you're
2: like eight. Yeah.
1: I'm trying to think. I. No, not when they were that young. I do remember a time where like me and my sister like, It was so weird, we like got into an argument and she was in her room and I was in my room and we were just like talking out loud to each other. Our rooms are right next to each other. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I just think, cause she was, she had stopped taking my side in arguments with my parents. And I will say arguments with my parents were very fraught, very explosive, like Mm -hmm. house shaking. And I remember my sister um, stopped, it was probably traumatic for her, to see them, I mean I know it was. And it was like a thing of like, she wanted to protect me from my mom but I didn't want her protection. I wanted her to get away from me because mm-hmm. I didn't want anybody around me and also like I projected onto her because like my parents would be like shielding her but yeah. being mean to me so I like didn't like her, Yeah, which was unfair for me to do at the time. But I remember like we got in this argument and I remember like admitting weakness to her and I had never done that before. That is really weird. I didn't want ever to be perceived as weak by her. Yeah. And I was like. Why? Why, (laughs) Kelly? (laughs) I don't know. I think because I was always, my parents were always telling me that I was like strong headed and like strong willed and ambitious. And like that was always me. Like I was always looking back. I mean, this honestly, not that I ever experienced anything close to this, what happens Mm -hmm. in this book, but I did see some parallels because like, I was the problem one and my sister was not. Mm -hmm. And many times in my childhood, it was always like, what big blow up is Kelly gonna be in with the parents? Yeah. And my sister was just always observing, always observing, always observing. And that for sure gave her some complexes about stuff.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: And it gave me my own complexes. Mm -hmm. But it was very like, Kelly's the main character, Kelly is the problem. Like, it was always like these fights about what Kelly's doing, what Kelly's doing. And yeah, it just, it, it, I could see how my sister.
2: Like I'm not being noticed.
1: Right. I'm not being noticed, but at the same time, because I look up to this person so much, I can't help but want to help her and protect her, but I'm scared Mm -hmm. of her. Right. Like that, I, I do, I do see the parallel there.
2: Yeah. Like I'm told you're the bad guy now. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But you're my hero also. Mm -hmm. So what, what am I to think?
1: Mm hmm. Yeah.
2: What's little old me supposed to think? But
1: also what little old me thinks doesn't matter. Yeah. Because I am here to literally at one point take camera footage. Mm -hmm. Like I am so much the observer.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I so do not matter to this story. Yeah. That may. Yeah. I mean reading this book really made me like I don't know feel.
2: It's really thoughtful about the children whenever they're kids. Yeah. It's really really thoughtful.
1: And like it just made me like really feel bad for. I mean, I always have felt bad for how I treated my sister as mm-hmm. a kid, but I guess it just like reopened wounds.
2: <laughs> oh, great! Yeah, that should be on the back of the book. Kelly Nugent says this really reopened some wounds for me. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen King says I haven't got a chill like this in years. Kelly Nugent yeah. says yeah, my wounds are open, open, <laughs> Re- bleeding. Um, I gotta call some people. I gotta say, I've, I gotta say, I am sorry to. A I know lot of I have people. to do
1: my like what's that apology like, tour? A A, yeah, yeah, that apology tour. Um, but so what were we saying? the, oh, the context of the the Divine story. Yes. Okay. So she's like, remember this story. So this is after she's like done
2: all the weird vomiting. <laughs> okay. And there was a thing at the table that I liked b- before the vomiting that I want to talk about. Yes. Yes. It was like, I
1: took a picture of it. Do you want to? I was
2: like, I like that moment. She was talking about, she was asking about their dead grandfather <laughs> and she was asking her dad about this because dad believes, right? Yeah. Dad's a believer. Dad believes in God. And she's like how do you know, like with an all-powerful God, how do you know that he's not, that Grandpa, Grampy, when we get up there to heaven, that he's not a demon playing a trick? And I really liked that moment. That was kind of a foreshadowing. Like in the book, I knew immediately, I was like, we're gonna have, that is the book. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was going back and forth. Is this mental illness or is this possession? I was like, I understand what you just said to me. You're saying that there's doubt in whatever we're told. Yeah,
1: in everything we're told. And also, like, hold on, I'm going to grab over here. So she's like, how do you know for sure that in heaven, the ghosts of the people you love are real? I'm asking how you would know if you were really talking with the ghost of your father of Grampy, say, and not some demon totally faking it. What if that demon was perfectly impersonating Grampy? That'd be pretty horrible. Yeah, picture it. You're in heaven with who you think is Grampy. The ghost looks like him and talks like him and acts like him. But How can you be sure it's really him? And as more and more time passes, you realize you can never be sure. You can never be sure that any of the other ghosts around you are not all disguised demons. So your poor soul is forever in doubt, expecting that in any one moment of eternity, there will be some terrible, awful, horrible change in Grampy's face as he embraces you. And then she just goes upstairs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She's just being a little
2: deviant. Yeah, the
1: family's like, what? (laughs) What the
2: hell? (laughs) That's my
1: dad. (laughs) Yeah, and also like, she'll say the most cryptic, scary shit and then be like, no visitors, please. And then go upstairs and everyone's like, uh
2: yeah but anyway i really like that moment because that's kind of the point of the whole book is like how do you know if this is a demon in disguise or who they say they are
1: yeah and honestly like as a bigger metaphor
2: for like reality Mm -hmm. exactly yeah everything around you how do you know yeah and you don't know what people have you don't know how many ghosts they have in their head i know whatever that metaphor is to you is yeah the book you know
1: yeah But so that happens. She goes upstairs. This is after she's puked.
2: And this is before the vine story. So now the vine story. Now
1: the vine story. So she's like, I need you to know, remember this story. Remember it, remember it, remember it. It is so important. So she's like, basically these vines, they grow everywhere. Um, They start growing in like Central Park. Um, They take over everything. I thought this one part was really a good Example of how like the vines, right? They they they're unstoppable and they take over everything, Mm -hmm. right? Much like the mental illness in her head.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Is there an altercation happening outside, or is just someone speaking? I I can't tell if there. This is a a two party altercation or a one party. Someone's just if someone's just just ranting
1: or if there's because there's like a lot of construction happening. So I'm like, is there someone mad about the construction, or is there someone that's just having an experience? It's trailing off. Yeah, I think she left. Um, so. I felt like the vines, right, are like her feeling like she it's this mental illness that's just
2: dragging yeah. her down. Yeah.
1: And she cannot escape it.
2: Yeah. Like chaos in her brain.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but it's like all the people are like upset because the vines. Um, so uh the vines and shoots broke through windows and buildings, and some people climbed the growing things so they could break into apartments and steal food, money, and HDTVs, Uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, In the country and the farms, the growing things overran the corn, wheat, soy, and all the other crops. They couldn't stop the growing things, so people poured and sprayed millions of gallons of weed killer, which didn't work. People quickly grew desperate and dumped bottles of liquid plumber, lye, and bleach. None of it worked on the stuff, and all the chemicals and poisons leached into the groundwater and poisoned everything else. And that is so, like, what her fucking family
2: does to her. Yeah, She's she's got these expanding vines coming out of her. Um, And the family isn't trying to understand the vines. They're trying to squash them.
1: Yeah. And just destroy them. Yeah. They don't understand. Like The vines are just going to be there. So we have to figure out how to live with these vines. Mm -hmm. Instead, they're like, we have to get rid of these vines. Right. So we'll pour poison on them. Yeah. And kill everything underneath. Yeah. Which is basically what happens to her.
2: Yes. So they first start, the family starts with trying to medicate her. uh, Yeah. And have her see a psychologist. Oh wait, I'm not done with the Vine story. Yeah, there's more, right? Yes,
1: so she's like, so then let's say there's these two little girls, Mary and Marjorie, mm-hmm. and they live with their father and their mother, and their mother's, Marjorie's really sick, and their father, he doesn't have any work, so he's gonna go out and look for work. Because mm-hmm. also it's notable that the dad lost his job a year and a half ago, and he hasn't been able to provide for the family. That's notable later. Um. In real life. But in the story, the dad, doesn't. he's looking for work. So he goes out and looks for work. And as he leaves, he's like, do not go in the basement. Do not, do not, do not go in the basement. And also the mother's gone. Mm-hmm. They don't know where the mom is. So Mary goes down to the basement with Marjorie and they find the growing things bursting through the floor. They push up the mother's body. They found that the father has poisoned the mother and plans to kill uh, Marjorie. Mm-hmm. And that's why she's already sick because she's been poisoned by the dad. And then they hear a knock at the door and they say, uh, Mary tried to ignore the pounding on the door. Instead, she asked Marjorie two questions. What do we do if it isn't dad outside the door? What do we do if it is? And that is, what do we do if the dad poisoned the family? Mm -hmm. What do we do if he didn't? Right. And this story is what revealed to me kind of like, in my head, I'm like, I understand why. I don't, obviously, what she did is wrong, if it was in fact Marjorie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But like, I understand how she got there. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later. So that's the growing
2: vine story. Yes. That Marge says, Mary, you got to remember this forever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so then after that, where are we?
1: Mom falls asleep with her, and then she wakes up and she has she the has growing the vines. vine yep. on her hand.
2: Yeah. And then. Not long after that, dad starts going to church more. And he's and like, dad, let's pray.
1: Let's do all this.
2: And dad gets in contact with the priest. And the mm-hmm. priest, I think, I, I guess they never really talk about who whose idea, whose idea the they reality don't reality show is. They don't really. Yeah. I'm but, assuming the priest, though. Yeah. And the dad's like, oh, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. And the dad, I mean, hearing that it'll get the money because yeah. they get appearance fees. Yeah. And like rights fees, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, great, let's do it. So we cut, and it's like all of a sudden they're doing the reality show. Yeah, but that's like the uh, the eyes of the child. She has no idea what happened. Yeah, yeah. And
2: there were lots of fights about this reality show. Yeah, it seemed like mom did this unwillingly, but dad somehow convinced mom that it was worth it.
1: That it would help.
2: Yeah, because the
1: psychiatrist isn't helping. Mm-hmm. He tries praying, and he claims that that helps. Yeah, because she calms down in the car when father waverly dude, this gets dad the
2: character is annoying dude isn't he so annoying i hate him <laughs> like well written though yeah like yeah, he yeah, reminded yeah. me of a lot of people yeah that i hate <laughs> yeah he was really fucking annoying god he sucked
1: yeah when he was like i think we should pray and yeah. the mom's
2: like what yeah we don't do that
1: and she's like okay i think it's like a private conversation that we should have before we do a new dinner mm-hmm. thing with the whole family and he's like i just think it'll help and then when he doesn't take her to the psychiatrist and takes her to the fucking to the priest. church, yeah,
2: to the church to get evaluated by yeah. a priest.
1: And he's like, "Well, it worked because she calmed down." And like, uh, and it's and then when we talked to her later, she's like, "Yeah, I don't know. The priest was annoying. I just ignored him." Yeah. So it's like, okay, she calmed down because she just didn't want to fucking talk to the priest. Yeah. Um. And, but at the same time, like this dad is an annoying idiot. But I see why he freaked out
2: mm-hmm. because
1: she was like saying like, you want to touch me, you want to like do all this stuff. And he's like, what? Like, no, I don't. Oh my God. Yeah. And so he like being a lapsed believer finds religion again because what else is he to do? Right. I mean, what he is to do is
2: take her to a doctor. Take her to a doctor.
1: (laughs) But like, it's just like that doesn't seem to be working. Yeah. Immediately. Because that's how a lot of people look at mental illness. Why isn't fixed immediately? Yeah. So he's like, I'll just take her to get talked to by a priest. Mm -hmm. which then turns into let's do a reality show yeah which then turns into we need to do an exorcism Mm
2: -hmm.
1: oh because that's the other thing when she like slinks under the table at dinner Ooh, i was so creeped out i was like uh Mar or uh mary get your like legs out from under the table
2: yeah Yeah, she did a lot of creepy stuff
1: yeah and she like slices the dad's hand Mm -hmm. and i loved that moment too when like she slices his hand, and he's just like looking at it, and then he just shows it to the mom, almost in a childlike shock. Like,
2: see? Yeah,
1: and almost like, like, look at what our daughter did. Like, what yeah. the fuck? And then from then on, they're like exorcism. We have to do one.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They. Uh, uh. Wait. When does? When's the moment where she, like, punches into the drywall and clings to the wall? That's pretty
1: early on. That's the yeah. First, that was
2: pretty early. Yeah.
1: That is right after. Um the very first uh, meeting with the psychiatrist yeah that's after the barfing
2: so they had several instances of like our daughter is doing stuff we don't understand well this is not drywall
1: lucas it's plaster she is somehow so strong yeah, she's she she, like punching into, into the plaster yeah, yeah. to to spider crawl up the wall. Yeah. And also she's like rearranged all her posters to be like a scary face. Yeah. Like a
2: figure. Like she rearranged them to look like something. Um, So they have, these parents have several instances of like our daughter is doing stuff. We don't understand the dad's like, we've taken her to a psychiatrist and that wasn't working. So I'm thinking it's time to get the church involved. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the church is like, it's, time we should get a tv show involved Mm -hmm. and then the tv show is like it's time we do an exorcism Mm -hmm. so that's sort of how it like ramps up to that right Mm
1: -hmm. and in the moments that they're like interrogating her and she's like pointing out all this shit about them it it definitely reveals why they would do something like this she's like i understand why you would want to do an exorcism show get the people in droves back to the churches right Mm -hmm.
0: um
1: and she like knows all this shit yeah, And this is another really pivotal moment where she's like listing. She's like, I see the book in your hand. That's like at Libris, whatever, whatever. And mm-hmm. like, you're going to read this passage and you're going to do this. And it's like, they're like, how could she know it? How could she know all this stuff?
2: Yeah. And it's like pretty obvious she could just Google stuff. Right, but like for a old, you know, baby boomer mm-hmm. who's not like internet savvy, mm-hmm. it's like, how does this young girl understand stuff? He even it's like says, she's up "I'm not night. internet savvy." Yeah, she's yeah. up all night on Google, and yeah. like she saw your Cthulhu shirt, yeah. and figured out, and she she did some research on some Lovecraft yeah. shit. Well, like it's, it is easily explained if you want to.
1: Yeah, and on top of that too, right? Like, let's say you're a 14 year old girl at the beginning of the internet and you know that you're about to get a fucking exorcism. Yeah, You're going to research what that is. Yeah, and
2: you're going to be on reality TV, and you're also saying to your little sister, like, I'm faking it, and this is going to save the family. I'm going to get us a lot of money Mm -hmm. from this reality TV show. So you're like, I'm going to figure out how to be the best damn, like, uh, exorcised or demon-possessed little girl I can.
1: (laughs) When on top of it, too, right? Like, isn't it scary? The idea of getting a fucking exorcism. Yeah. Like, and, and you know there's something wrong with you. Right. So, like... Wouldn't you try to prepare yourself yeah. to be like, I don't, I need to know what's going to happen Exactly. To
2: me. Yeah. I think it was mainly that is that she's yeah. actually scared for what's going on.
1: Cause then we find out she really is scared. Yeah. In the ex, exor- Cause I actually, in my reread found the exorcism scene to be very sad. Yeah. Very, very, very sad.
2: Yeah. She's strapped to the bed. The windows open. So it's, it's freezing. freezing cold in there. Um, and she's surrounded by cameras and people like staring at her.
1: Yeah. And, like, doing, like, the power of Christ compels you, yeah, you know?
2: Yeah, and, like, regardless of, and this is something I've always been interested in, is, like, the act of the exorcism, it's, like, you've got, like, a really nervous teenager strapped to a bed and a lot of people staring at them. When like, people, I'm gonna do whatever I can to make you think that I need, like, whatever will get me out of these straps and end this night, yeah. I'll do it. Yeah,
1: fine, I will, it's, like, coerced confession. Exactly honestly there are cases of people dying in exorcisms like young girls dying in exorcisms so it's a very like horrible experience it's very very cold in there everyone is like she's contorting she's freaking out she's tied down yeah um and the part that really broke my heart was because we find out later that like the um the reality show people have rigged up shit to happen on the Mm -hmm. bottom of the bed for the drawers to open Mm -hmm. and so she's like doing her little exorcism thing that she thinks is partially a she is losing it yeah but b i might as well put on a show for these people because what else
2: yeah so we can end all this Yeah, so we can end it yeah and then the drawer flies open and she's like what the fuck yeah she's like that's not me she's like
1: stop please like is what i did not enough like please please stop i'm scared i'm scared stop and they won't stop And then I loved this because it is true in the uh, in the in the um, dissection of it in the blog. They compare it to a John Carpenter's The Thing scare, where it's like we see him pull up the the blanket to her chest because she complains she's cold. The the priest Mm -hmm. once he's okay, okay, then it's fine. Twice, oh, he's okay, then it's fine. The third time, she bites his arm. Yeah. Dude, and she sinks in, dude. was
2: gnarly. She sinks in. She doesn't let go. So the guy pulls away and they like, apparently in the reality show, like the way you see it is that it's blurred out. Like there's a long string of blurred out like flesh, mm-hmm. but like it's from the point of view of Mary who saw it all. Yeah. And it's disgusting. Yeah. It's like she sunk in and didn't let go and he pulled back and now he's bleeding like crazy. And
1: there's like, and she, she calls spits it a- out
2: the part of his arm that she took out.
1: Yeah. Cause it's, a spaghetti string of flesh yeah. that tears from his wrist to his elbow, Ugh. and then she spits it out a- yeah. at him. Yeah. And he's just like, <laughs> and he's on the ground, and she has somehow gotten free. Yeah, but also, did the mom not put on
2: the yeah because constraints the, before this exorcism? The mom is like, "We're gonna back out of this. Yeah, I know you don't want to do this, and we, she- we're gonna get you the help we need." Or you need, she's like, if at any moment you want you don't want to do this, um, we're gonna say no. And Marjorie is like, No, we'll do it. Yeah. Um, and the mom is like, Okay, I guess. But then when she's putting the straps on, I think she couldn't do it. She couldn't bear yeah, to strap her daughter them. down. Yeah. So she left like the leg straps off, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also I love there's like a little part where the mom's like, I look back at the woman who agreed to this and I don't know who she is. Yeah. She's like, I don't know how she could have agreed to this i don't know like how could i have done this to you yeah and that was like so i just felt like all the characters were so well Mm -hmm. they just felt so real and lived in Mm um because everyone that makes stupid decisions they're stupid decisions like that's like well what would you do what would you believe yeah because that's the other thing too where it's like they in the um in the blog she's like oh they cut the stuff of the mom you know, so cruelly Mm -hmm. because like she just doesn't believe any of it despite all of the information put in front of her. Yeah. But again, I was thinking to myself, even if there is all this unexplained shit, right? Like how is your daughter so strong? She can punch holes in plaster and climb up like a spider. Mm -hmm. She's like speaking in these tongues. Yeah. It's all like very strange. But even then, would you believe your daughter's possessed?
2: Me as a non-believer, No. If you're asking me, I'd be like, no, absolutely not. So it's like
1: we would be the mom. Yeah. Like you would be the mom, yeah. even though in a movie, right? You watch it, and you're like, how do you not fucking believe the shit exactly. in front of you? Exactly. And it's like, because you wouldn't believe it.
2: You wouldn't believe it. You that. wouldn't believe yeah. it. The, the sound effects and yeah. the way it's cut are making you believe it. But if you were in that situation, yeah. like, okay, maybe, I know some people that would believe that kind of shit. But Me like, too. I am not that person. Exactly. I would be like, we need to get you help. Yeah. And you punch through that plaster, uh, or were you like, chiseling these holes in your wall last night. Yeah. and like, like I would look for were they other underneath possibilities your posters too because she was like yeah.
1: she was sunk into the posters. Right. But like that's the other thing right. Like I feel like let's put ourselves in this position right. This girl is like experiencing this stuff and we are witnessing it. I think no matter what even if I d- I-, I wouldn't believe it's a possession.
2: No but you would be terrified and heartbroken.
1: Well and th- I think there would be late night discussions where we would be like, but what the fuck was that? Yeah. How did she do that? Right. Right? Like, there is stuff where you're like, I cannot explain this. And, like, this is really scary. And this yeah, is you'd happening. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Like, in my house. Yeah. And, like, to my daughter, who I, like, you know, I'm supposed to be protecting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to protect her from this. Right. And this is, like, how is she doing this?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But so they do the exorcism. And then she breaks free. And also, it's so cold in there; they can see everyone's breath. Yeah, but they don't, like, they don't tell the audience that the windows are the open. The windows
2: are open. Cold. Yeah, and th- she says that in her blog that like a like eagle eyed viewer can see that the window, like, the, oh, yeah, wind- the, the, the curtain the blows, the curtain blows, yeah, and which you can doesn't see see the windows happen in open. a room where the windows are closed. Yeah, um, yeah. So she runs out. Mary's running away, and she um, like trips and falls down the stairs, um, and Marjorie is chasing after her. Um and Marjorie gets to the top of the stairs and then there's a moment where Mary stands up and they both turn at the same time together. Mm-hmm. Um which I'll talk about later. <laughs> uh but then Marjorie says something. I can't remember what. She says wait for me. Yeah. And then she like gleefully leaps off the stairs and injures herself, but I think we cut right there. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's from the perspective of the c- of the camera guy at the bottom of the stairs.
1: Yeah. And we also still don't know what happens to the family at this point. So at this point, we're like, is this how it all ends? Does she die jumping off of this? I assumed
2: right there that she died. died. Yeah. But But no, she
1: breaks her ankle. We find
2: out something much sadder happened. I know. uh, Later. But yeah, she just broke her ankle. Yeah. uh, TV show wrapped, um, successful show. And then they got some crazy, creepy shots.
1: Yeah. And this is all kind of told to us through the blog. Yeah. And this is where I think this was so masterful to have the blog reveal to us what happens. It's like, oh, yeah. And then, by the way, like, the entire family was poisoned. Right. And they
2: died. Yeah. By
1: the father, except for Mary. Yeah. And it's like, wait, what?
2: Yeah. And you're like, oh, so that's how it happened.
1: Yeah. And also, like.
2: The Vine story. Yeah. Like, the Vine story. That that comes back up. It's like, oh, shit. That, that was kind of what she foretold. But we don't. Yeah, exactly. It is kind of what she foretold. That the, that the dad was going to kill everyone. Mm-hmm. um. And yeah, we we still don't actually know what happened until a couple chapters later. But yeah, uh, yeah, it was just sort of like flippantly said in the blog that like, by the way, yeah, as we all know, the whole family died except for the young girl a couple weeks later or whatever, yeah. or like a couple months later.
1: Yeah, and it's like I I love the cruelty of how that is delivered to mm-hmm. us.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's I love that 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 blog was like a juxtaposition of what was actually happening because it's like. That it's that fucking like true crime shit of like we just watched this most horrific thing. And she just flippantly is like, and by the way, yeah, of course the family died, but also because it's not super salacious, they don't go into it. Yeah. But also the
1: reason she's not going into it is because she's hiding about what really happened.
2: Mm-hmm. right. We find out mm-hmm. yeah. because she says, I think after that blog post, she has the conversation with Rachel, yeah, where she's like, by the way, I've been writing. Um, this and this is in the coffee shop. Yeah, I've been hired to write, uh, and like you can you can read my blog posts over here. Mm-hmm. Some
1: shit. And I want you to, I, I want to mention. So their final interview session, she, uh, is telling this story, uh, and they're in a coffee shop, mm-hmm. and they they say that it's super warm in the
2: coffee shop. Yeah,
1: and. I'm trying to find because I think this is relevant.
2: Yeah. Um, the barista. They ask him to turn it off. The right? barista is like, I can't control this thing. Like, I, this is so weird. It's never done this or some, something like that. Like, it's crazy. Like, I think they ask him to turn it off and then it gets crazy cold.
1: Well, it just starts to get really cold. Yeah. They ask him to turn it off.
2: Or did they ask him to turn it off?
1: I think they ask him to turn it off and he's like, I got you. And then when other people come in, he's like, oh, it's broken. I can't control it. Yeah. But he turned it off for them, mm-hmm. and then so their breath is coming out. Right when she's telling this final part, the breath is coming out of her, um, out of her mouth in clouds. Yeah, just like during the exorcism,
2: mm-hmm. so, which me- it means a lot. Yeah, because that um, signifies a ghost, right? Like you're ex- you're being exorcised or whatever, and there's you've got stuff coming out of your mouth. Uh, those are the, those are ghosts. Um, but like in that moment, right before he's like, it's broken. Um, because they, they're really talking about how the temperature dropped. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which is like they say in the reality show in the blogs and stuff. That's like that. That means ghosts. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, he says it's broken. Is he lying or not? Like he's lying.
1: He's lying to the customers.
2: We don't know that. What if he was lying to them when he said he turned it off? Oh yeah. Maybe. I think what he, I think what, I think it's just another one of those things that mm. he's adding in of like, who do you believe? Right. Like did the air conditioner actually break and he can't turn it back on, he turned it off for them and that's why it's colder, or did the temperature drop after she revealed her secret?
1: Yeah. And this Which is the Which we other haven't thing. talked
2: about the secret yet.
1: Yeah. But this is the other thing too, of like, let's say we're believing that there are it was possession, right? right. When she says, wait for me and then jumps mm-hmm. and then they both turn they away turn from at the, the same camera. Time. And it could, and from the back of their heads, she says, "Like you could, you can't tell who's who."
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: You could imagine that the ghost is transfers. leaving her yeah, it into
2: the little girl. Yeah, and it would explain a blog post about, uh, like, under a pen name, mm-hmm. being like a little deviant,
0: mm-hmm.
2: being like, "Here's what actually happened." Yeah, here's the story of it all, and, and it would explain lying to Rachel.
1: Yes, about about who did it. Who did it? And y- exactly.
2: Yeah, it's like she could, and that ghost. Like when the temperature drops, she has air come out of her mouth to signify that she's possessed. Right. Yeah. Like that's that's one way to interpret the ending. Sure. I don't think it's correct. I
1: don't I I think (laughs) I think
2: it's fun that it's there. I
1: think. But here's the thing. If Paul Tremblay was going to come out and be like, actually, that's it. then I'd be like, oh, cool. Yeah. I wouldn't be like, oh, I don't buy it. Right. But as it stands right now, because that's the thing you could pick out everything in here and be like yep she's possessed right. and now the daughter or and now the sister's possessed and she's the one who actually did it and da 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 da. Yeah.
2: but it's like that's kind of the point of the, point. the whole book is yeah. that it's it's not really about the the plot it's about the characters uh and and the like belief systems that we have yeah and and what you can pull out of life if you want to mm-hmm. or what you can make what you can make of events Mm -hmm. like how you can self-describe anything
1: Mm -hmm. so now we're gonna go into what how they all die yeah so she gets a little note and it says come into my room it's life or death so she Mm -hmm. goes into her room and this is all being told by this is not covered by the reality show
2: this is her revealing a secret to rachel to
1: rachel for what really happened yeah and that's the other thing too even then rachel's like i don't know if i believe this Mm -hmm. and also she's like oh shit like is there like like evidence, like they, are they reopening the case? Like do they have fingerprints? Like what happened? Oh. Yeah. So the way the story as the public knows it is that the father freaks out and family annihilates his family mm-hmm. and poisons the spaghetti sauce. But because from the very beginning of the book, we know that she doesn't eat spaghetti sauce. She doesn't die.
2: Yeah. And there was something about like, there were all these protesters while the show was going on. Yeah, and and like, like a Westboro Baptist, West B- shows Westboro Baptist up. type that I don't think they actually ever said that, but um it was like after the events of this, uh, they believe that he was starting to align with that church.
1: Yeah, because he starts talking. They find emails, emails. Yeah, that he starts talking to the priest of that church and like and like that
2: that priest, like or pastor, I think, helped them figure out how to poison or some shit. right, right, maybe. Right. But they don't, they don't have any like PayPal records or anything. Yeah, so that's the official story. Yeah.
1: So she's like, "Okay, I'm going to tell you what really happened." Mm-hmm. So Marjorie asked me to go into her room. She tells me I went down there and like dad has been talking to that creepy priest and there's like a weird creepy like like shrine with like a the giant uh cross that they had brought in for the exorcism that was like left there by the crew um and like he's been polishing the shit out of this silver cross and he has all this silver polish and he's going to poison all of us. Mm-hmm. Just like in the story I told you, just remember, remember? Mm-hmm. So we have to use just the right amount to poison them.
2: Um, And what I love about all of this stuff is that she's like showing stuff on her laptop, right? Yes. And it feels like a spiral into paranoia. Yes. And it also explains how she could have been so cunning during all of this, mm-hmm. like how she was so smart. She's just got all these fucking tabs open yeah. and she's experiencing like a paranoia episode. Mm-hmm. And like she is memorizing all this stuff out of all this adrenaline and and fear. And
1: honestly, mania probably. Yeah, and
2: mania. And she is like, here's why dad is going to kill us. And she's yes. freaking out.
1: And here's, this is the thing I wanted, this is what I wanted to retouch on. Why I think she, this I think is firmly helping us in the camp of Marjorie did do it she but also she be- she had reason to believe this mm-hmm. because okay first of all let's say you are in a highly paranoid state mm-hmm. you've just had this horrible thing of like your parents making you go through a fucking exorcism mm-hmm. televised yeah so you believe that your parents have the capacity to harm you mm-hmm. because they did harm yeah. you and they let you get harmed yeah because of something outside of your control like your mental illness,
2: yeah, and she has been paranoid of her father from the start, and we yes. don't really know why. Yes, um, why that Vine story was,
1: yeah, because it was early on. It,
2: that was early, um, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know why. Maybe there's an answer in there,
0: but
1: that's so it's like maybe it's a combination, right? Because yeah. like she is like post-cognitive or whatever, right? She just knows things, right? So maybe she always knew about family annihilators. We don't yeah. know, but so she's done all this research. She's like, look at this family annihilator. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Of the pattern is. The man experiences some kind of, quote, emasculating loss, like loss of job, mm-hmm. loss of whatever, that he perceives as outside of his control, that has ruined- These religious
2: men. I think, I think she makes a point Yeah, it's I like think a lot men. of them she finds are religious. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it ruins their reputation in life and right. stuff. Right. And they cannot control it, and so they choose to annihilate their whole family and themselves. And themselves, yeah. She's like, dad is obviously going to do that. And she's like, I found stuff in the basement. Yeah. Like he's working on stuff in the basement mm-hmm. or something like that, right? Yeah.
1: She's like, he has, he bought that silver polished stuff and he's going to kill us all. Yeah. And like, and that's the thing. Like she has reason to believe that he will harm her because he has harmed her. Yeah. And she has reason to believe that he blames these external things mm-hmm. on like, I'm being punished because he has seen her mental illness and gone to fucking church about it. Right. And tried to pray away her. Schizophrenia. Yeah, so she does have reason to believe that he will family annihilate the whole family Mm -hmm. because he's like gotten really weird and started talking to this fucking Westboro Baptist guy and like just completely sunken away from himself. Isn't the person he is anymore? Yeah, and the the Vine story. It's like he has killed the mom. Yeah, which like basically he has removed the mom from their lives because she has given up on the family. Mm -hmm. So I was like, and I only got that this reading where I was like, oh my god, like. Of course, because I was really looking at her more.
2: Yeah. Like, of course she has reason to believe. Because she was hurt by her family. Yes. Yeah. And so she's, she's like, like. They're uh, going to hurt me again. Yeah. Um, and I have
1: to protect Mary.
2: Yeah. And I have to protect Mary. So what I think, you tell me, here's what I think happened. Okay. But anyway, so to jump ahead, she, um, they poison the pasta, but she tricks Mary into poisoning the pasta sauce uh, and Mary does it. Mm-hmm. And Mary doesn't eat her pasta with sauce, so which everyone, everyone knows, everyone eats the poison. And uh, and Mary was told, yeah, Marjorie. Mary was Mary told, Marjorie, was told Marjorie, wouldn't. Marjorie wouldn't eat it. Marjorie happily eats it and says some like weird, creepy shit to Mary. Yeah, and then they all die.
1: And then they all and fucking Mary
2: die. Mary killed them. But and when
1: she eats it, Mary thinks, oh, she tricked me. They're not gonna get knocked out. Yeah,
2: she, and it's so sad because she's like, oh, this is all a joke they it's die f- it's terrifying the way this ends that that is like so sad that scene of just this 8-year-old girl sitting there with her dead family and she thinks like this must be some sort of joke guys and wake she's up
1: hiding for days
2: and she hides there for days and they find her like sucking on her thumb
1: and like covered in shit and around the rotting corpses of her family
2: yeah um but i think what happened is that marjorie in her paranoia I don't think the dad was ever going to kill them. No. She was trying to get ahead of it. She was paranoid that the dad was going to kill them and Mary. And she was like, I need to protect Mary and kill everybody.
1: Yeah. And I think she eats it because she's like, I am so sick mm-hmm. that I'm only going to keep hurting. Just
2: her. looking for, yeah, or the release yeah. that she needed.
1: Okay. This is, the, I'm going to read this whole scene because it's, it's very scary. It's
2: terrifying and so sad.
1: Okay. Um, I let Marjorie walk down the stairs first. Her boot sounded like a bowling ball rolling down the stairs. When we reached the foyer, Marjorie surprised me by putting the jar into my hands. This wasn't part of the plan. I shook my head no and tried to give it back to her. She whispered, This will only work if you do it. You heard me walking down the stairs, yeah? I'm just realizing now she'll hear me clomping around the kitchen if I do it. Don't worry, I'll distract her for you. It'll be easy. Marjorie put two hands in the middle of my back and pushed me away and into the living room. She limped into the dining room. The dining room table was covered in clean clothes as usual. Marjorie called out Hey mom, can you help me find my purple pj top? I can't find it and I want to wear it tonight It gets so cold in my room Mom walked out of the kitchen and said wait, hold on a second Don't just go picking through all the piles. I killed myself folding everything I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to do anything I was just going to stand there in the living room with the cold glass jar in my hand and wait for someone to take it away from me I swear I don't remember walking from the living room and into the kitchen and then next to the stove But there I was I don't remember if i'd taken off the silver lid or if marjorie had done so for me the blue g- gas flame of the burner was low. The sauce bubbled slowly. Mom and Marjorie bickered in the dining room. I poured white powder into the saucepan and quickly stirred until it disappeared into the red, until it looked as though I hadn't added anything. I did it because I believed in Marjorie and I believed that her plan would work, that it would help everyone. I tiptoed out of the kitchen and I heard mom say to Marjorie in an exasperated voice, find it yourself then. And we cut to dinner. Mom said, no sauce, right, sweetie? I held up my yes sign. Oh yeah, at this point, she's not talking She wasn't anymore. talking, yeah. Because <laughs> she's pissed. Um, I used a fork to mix the butter into my plain pasta. Dad asked what all my signs were about. I held up my hastily scribbled cheese sign. Mom told him I decided to stop talking for the day. She didn't tell him why. Dad passed me Parmesan cheese. I it's don't like rem- she's
2: so she doesn't understand what she just did. No, like she's so young. She's so young. she does not she doesn't know. understand like the the depth of life, you know?
1: I don't remember where in the house Dad came from. What I mean is I don't remember where he was before we were all in the kitchen eating dinner. I only remember him being there at the kitchen table, like he'd always been sitting there, like a gargoyle. He was hunched, and his unkempt beard jutted out in random places, and his eyes darted around the room, like he was always looking for an emergency exit. Dad prayed silently to himself as Mom served herself a bowl of pasta and covered it in red sauce. The saucepan was avocado avocado green and dinged up; it'd been used a lot. Dad served himself when Mom was finished. Marjorie was the last to come to the table. She had been in the downstairs bathroom for a long time. She tickled my neck with freshly wet hands as she scooted by me and sat down. Using her fork instead of the wooden serving ladle, Marjorie speared a staggering amount of spaghetti onto her plate. It all clumped and stuck together like a ball of tangled yarn. Mom said, wow, someone's hungry. I could eat the world. Mary, pass the sauce, please, Marjorie said and winked at me. Her eyes were red as if she'd been crying. Ugh, that's really sad. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do or what her asking for the sauce meant. That's right, because she's like, you're not supposed to be eating the sauce. What's happening? Yeah, she's like,
2: oh, there's a new plan? I don't know what to do
1: and when i looked around the table i thought mom and dad were staring at me extra hard like they knew i'd done something wrong the empty glass jar marjorie had given me was still in my sweatshirt pocket my skin tingled with fear as i thought marjorie had told them what i did to the sauce had told them our plan and had told them it was all my idea and my fault i held up my no sign dad said i got it he reached his big paw across the table and passed the saucepan to marjorie she said thank you father in her faux british accent and poured the rest of the sauce onto her pasta She twirled her fork in the middle of the red mess and shoved the glob into her mouth. She chewed, swallowed, and watched me watching her. The moment I saw the sauce pass between her lips, I was as angry as I've ever been in my life. Marjorie had fooled me again. I'd believed her. Tears filled my eyes, so I kept my head down near my plate. She'd lied to me, made it all up. Her theory about dad, the family stories, and our plan. Our plan? Have mom cook us spaghetti and we'd spike the sauce. I famously didn't like sauce, and Marjorie would say her stomach hurt, so she'd just have plain pasta like me. We'd put enough of the powder in the sauce to just knock out, Marjorie's phrase, our parents, or make them sick enough so that we could then run away, escape the house. We'd bring the poison jar to the police as proof of what dad had planned to do to us, and then we'd be safe. Dad would get taken away, yes, but he'd also get the help he'd needed, and maybe someday he'd be well enough to come back home to us. Just like how every time Marjorie was sent away, she came back to us. This made sense to the eight-year-old me. People went away, and they came back, and would continue to come back because they'd always done so previously. So it was clear that Marjorie had tricked me into pouring a mix of sugar and flour into the sauce. I was the dummy again, right? I mean, why else would she eat the sauce too? I held up my Y sign to her. Marjorie said, this is the best sauce ever. You should have some, monkey. She was laughing at me beside her, behind her big red smile. I hated her so much right then. I whispered it as I chewed on my plain pasta so no one else could hear me. But I did. I whispered, I hate you. I wish you were dead. Marjorie said, You eat pizza with sauce? You love pizza. I don't understand why you don't eat it with your spaghetti. It's crazy, right, Dad? Dad said, whatever. I've long given up trying to figure anyone out. Mom said, leave her alone. She'll eat sauce when she wants to. My sister and my parents were talking about my not eating red sauce were their last words. No explanations or realizations or regrets or pleas for forgiveness. No goodbyes. And it happened quickly. I still can't believe it happened so quickly. The high-pitched scritch of forks rubbing against the ceramic dishes stopped breaths became heavy and loud and as infrequent as whale spouts chairs groaned, slid back hands dropped forks and squished into their plates glasses knocked over my stack of signs slid to the floor elbows banged on the table legs kicked out eyes fluttered and closed heads dropped bodies slouched and sank i stood up and backed away from the table slowly initially afraid that a sudden movement of me would make the scene implode further with the table and chairs and everyone sliding and sinking into the basement "'Moms and dads' heads lay on the table "'as though they were schoolchildren "'napping on their desks. "'I tried poking Mom in the shoulder "'and her arm dropped below the table. "'I jumped back, banging into the counter "'and a rack of dishes behind me "'and no one reacted, no one moved. "'I screamed as loudly as I could and paced the room. "'Marjorie's head was tilted back. "'Her face pointed at the ceiling. "'Her hair had fallen out of her ponytail "'and hung down behind her, a half-drawn curtain. "'Red saliva bubbled out of her mouth "'and dripped down the length of her long, white neck. "'Her eyes were half-open.' I stood next to her on my tiptoes and craned my face over hers. I said her name three times. I didn't use my signs. I asked her what we were supposed to do now. Her eyes were dark and reflected the light above her. Her skin had turned to clay. I asked her how long it would take for the powder to wear off. I asked her how long it would take for them to wake up. I told her that this was a bad idea that she didn't have to eat the sauce like they did. I told her I needed her and that I didn't think I could go to the police by myself because I didn't know where they were. I put the empty glass jar in Marjorie's hand wrapped her fingers around it, tried to make her hold it like she was supposed to, but it kept falling out. So I took it back. Um, I sat in my chair and waited. None of them was breathing. I stood up, covered my eyes and told mom and dad that I was sorry I played such a mean prank on them and that it was all Marjorie's fault. I started crying. I went down into the basement. I was terrified, but I had to see what was down there to see if Marjorie, what she had told me was true. I ran down the basement stairs. I wanted extra light with me. So I carried two jumbo flashlights and the beams danced and bounced off of the stone foundation walls. There was no shrine with tapestries and pictures and altars. There was none of that. Up against the back wall of the basement, next to the shelves of food, there was the giant pewter cross that had briefly hung on the wall in Marjorie's room. A dirty rag covered Jesus's head. His body was tarnished and smeared with dirt. I sat on the basement floor and I waited for Marjorie's growing things to come bursting out of the ground, wrap me in their green tentacles, and pull me underneath the house or pull me apart piece by piece, bit by bit, until every part of me had been torn away. Everything gets foggy after the basement. That was very long.
2: Yeah. That I read that whole thing. Yeah. I just woke back up. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. It's so good. It's very good. It's so creepy and scary and sad. Yeah. And it just makes the whole book different.
1: Yeah. And sad. Yeah. It makes the whole book so sad. Yeah. Because like she goes down there and none of it's true.
2: Yeah. And it makes it recontextualizes the, the blog that she's written mm-hmm. and uh, the story that she's been telling to Rachel this whole time.
1: Mm hmm. And I guess the only thing that we know for sure, or maybe not because she's telling the story.
2: Mm -hmm. She could be a little demon.
1: I was going to say the only thing we know for sure is that dad didn't do it. Yeah. But maybe he did. Right. I don't think he did. I think it's either Marjorie was very sick. Yeah. And tricked her into doing it to try and save her. Yeah. The fact that she had been crying in the bathroom is really sad to me. Mm -hmm. That she was just like really truly believed this is the only way. Yeah.
2: And she knows she's about to see her sister for the last time.
0: hmm
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Or the demon was already in her and none of that happened and that's just a story she's telling her.
2: Yeah. Th- here's where it gets a little weird is that if, if this were a possession thing mm-hmm. from Mary, if Mary's possessed mm-hmm. and she's like killing her family, mm-hmm. then why would she tell Rachel the truth about it?
1: Because so Rachel is like, oh, we've reopened the investigation. Mm-hmm. And this is before she tells her. And she's like, oh, is there like, did you guys find, like, what'd you guys find? She's like, well, I can't really tell you that. Yeah. And she's like, but like, there's like fingerprints and stuff like on the.
0: Yeah.
2: On the Yeah, thing. I remember that.
1: So I think that if we are to believe she did it
2: she's, as a possessed. She's trying to say, yeah. like, but it wasn't my fault.
1: Yeah. Marjorie made me do it.
2: Yeah. I see.
1: Yeah. So if we, if it is a possession, I feel like it's like that Marjorie was possessed. And then in that moment, it transferred from Marjorie to.
2: Mm-hmm, to Mary. Mary. Yeah. And then Mary killed her family cuz And then Mary killed her family cuz she's a little demon. Um yeah, and we could talk about that stuff all day and that's sort of why it doesn't matter really yeah. what it is. It's it's the the point of it being that we don't we won't know. And mm-hmm. it's all about these characters who who know what they know and can't explain the unexplained.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the only people that really know what happened the only person that really knows what happened is Mary. Mm-hmm. And even then, does she because she was a child?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Everything that she believes, she believes through the lens of memory mm-hmm. and what people have told her and what the media has told her.
2: Yeah. And what Marjorie was telling her while she was going through a really tough time.
1: hmm Yeah. This is a really good one.
2: It's a really good book. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you asked me to do it with you because mm. I wouldn't have read this book. I don't read. You yeah, you this. don't read. I don't really read,
1: but I'm glad you got to read it because I think this book is very special. Yeah,
2: it's good. Um, and again, like if they're making a movie out of this, I'm worried because I think the movie will try to answer questions.
0: Yeah, because you kind of
2: have to in movies. Sometimes. No, you don't have to. You don't have. To, you don't have to. But people... a studio who funds a movie says that you. I know, and
1: like focus groups.
2: Yeah. So maybe it'll. If it's you know, I would trust like an A24 movie. Uh, sure. But like otherwise, sure. I could see it being mishandled.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's like if a director that like people are like because I feel like. Not specifically Ari Aster, but like, you know how like Bo is afraid is, I I know you haven't seen it yet, but like, he was like, I didn't have to deal with notes for this movie. Yeah. Someone like that. Yeah. That's like, you know what? You're just going to have to shut the fuck up because I've proven myself to you. Yeah. So like, just let me do what I'm going to do. Because apparently Midsummer and Hereditary did receive notes. Right. And Bo did not. Bo did not. Yeah. And so I feel like if someone.
2: If someone just read this book. And they were respected enough to not be given notes. Yeah. Then, like, they would do a, they might do it justice.
1: And I think the person has to work closely with Paul Tremblay.
2: Yeah. Because, yeah, like, what what if it's one of these people that leaves a one-star review that's like, this was a bad exorcism book. Okay, yeah. I wanted this to touch like, on some of these one-star reviews. This is like the exorcism. Reviews. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah.
1: These one-star reviews where people are like, this is just a rehash of exorcism. And I was, like, literally screaming at you about this, yeah. like, before we recorded,
2: you're stupid.
1: You're a fucking idiot. Yeah, I'm sorry.
2: Like, I can't believe you can read at this level and that's your interpretation.
1: <laughs> because truly, you think the exorcism is about how good triumphs.
2: Mm-hmm. It's good and evil, and it's like exorcisms are real. Yeah. <laughs> and demons are real. Yeah. And good, wi- good can overcome demons. Yeah. And like that's fine. That's a fine, but that's not at all what this is about. Mm-hmm. It, I, this is about what are demons. I mean, the book is called A Head Full of Ghosts. Yeah. It's about like what is inside your head. Yeah. And like no one can really know.
1: Yeah. And it's about how like literally the exorcism doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> the exorcism is bad. Yeah.
2: The exorcism didn't work. Yeah. In this At all.
1: And like, or like people that were like, oh, this was like really, this is the thing where people were like, oh, when people got mad, I didn't believe it. Mm hmm. But I'm like, but if you're talking about Marjorie getting mad, the whole thing is that she's unpredictable and scary. Mm-hmm. Like she gets mad about things very quickly. Yeah. Because she is very unwell.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, this actually kind of reminds me a little bit of the coverage of the Elisa Lamb case.
2: I don't I'm unfamiliar. The
1: Cecil Hotel. You know it.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Where I, I actually am like very disgusted. Yeah. By the way, people the trying way to people make people it a ghost it. story. Yeah i agree because if you and and i hated that documentary that came out about it it's bad it's so bad and so irresponsible it's so
2: deliberately like well we don't know and it's like no we do actually we do
1: know it's a really sad situation of a girl on her own who stopped taking her medication and experienced a very intense manic episode and climbed into a water tank and drowned
2: yeah and it's like but what if it's something else is what they're saying but why would it be? why did yeah. you why did you do that? It,
1: and also it doesn't need to be like you don't yeah. need to be part of a fucking Hollywood movie, right. This is someone's life that ended very fucking sadly,
2: mm. uh, like yeah, and someone had the opportunity just because of the stories of the Cecil Hotel, maybe mm-hmm. because you could do this with anything also you could I could do I, this with any death, like yeah, what, well, what if it was ghosts? I don't know, it's yeah, just, what if? Yeah, good fucking luck proving it, I don't know. I'm sure your documentary is gonna end with the answer, we don't know.
1: Yeah, and I feel like you and I have talked about the Cecil Hotel in particular, where everyone's like, oh, it's like so haunted. And it's like, well, no, it's just that like, by being a very cheap motel- it's $50 a night downtown. In downtown, yeah. people that have to crash there have higher mm-hmm. rates of, of mortality, mm-hmm. or are, you know, like, sad bad divorce dads or like mm-hmm. depressed people on the run or yeah, like whatever. Like you're, like- not,
2: you're not ending up there under good circumstances. No. no. And yeah, and it's in a like a pretty scary part of town. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was pretty stupid. That was a really bad documentary. But <laughs> what were we talking about? Uh, I don't know. Coverage of this.
1: Oh yeah, people's something reviews. Like
2: oh yeah, reviews. Yeah. So people thought she couldn't be mad so quickly or something. Yeah. Like that. And that like
1: exorcist, it was like the exorcist um so did you find this book scary were you creeped
2: out i was creeped out in the in the good way because quickly after the like leading up to the exorcism and when it was just a reality show i was like this is just like a case of mental illness and it's really sad and then i really liked how they were able to make like real life like it's not the supernatural but it's still very scary Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah yeah like people can just actually act like this and it's scary and they need help and they're not getting it.
1: Yeah, well, like um, I was actually listening to some coverage by last podcast on the left on exorcisms mm-hmm. and how it like, you can explain some of the like contortions that the body goes yeah. through and things like that and yeah. like supposed feats of
2: strength. Yeah, um, I this is a very interesting topic to me actually. When I was in high school, I thought I was experiencing like supernatural stuff and I'm a non-believer And I have been for as long as I can remember. It is really
1: interesting. Using the word non-believer sounds
2: extremely Christian. I really don't believe in (laughs) the devil. (laughs) Uh, Jesus rules. Um, I'm very atheist. But when I say, sorry, when I say I'm a non-believer, I mean, I don't believe in the supernatural. right? um, Or like... Anything that I I can't really explain. Uh, well, that's actually I, why I brought you here. Yeah, <laughs> um, I have some really interesting literature I that pamphlets. I want to show you. Yeah. Um, no, I when I was in high school, I was like something is happening to me every night. I'm seeing stuff uh, in my room, and um, it's like this black figure, and it gets closer and closer, and I just stare at it, and I can't move. I'm paralyzed with fear, and then. A friend was like, "You probably just have sleep paralysis." Yeah, and then I googled it, and I was like, "Oh, I have sleep paralysis." Yeah, and it's like there are so many things like this that our brains can do, mm-hmm. and some people are very religious, and they're like, "Oh my god, the devil!" Has right, me. right, right,
0: right. <laughs> and
2: I'm not, so I'm able to just Google stuff like sleep paralysis and be like, "Oh, I'm like dreaming with my eyes open, mm-hmm. and I can't move because I'm still asleep."
1: <laughs> yeah, I. That's so funny. I I had a a couple because i've had some ghostly experiences yeah but they're very easily explained yeah so like and i i remember telling my mom that i think you were there it was at christmas telling mm-hmm. my mom she's and she was like, like <gasps> ew she's like why are you telling yeah, me yeah stop yeah she's <laughs> like oh stop and she'd like get up and leave and then come back and be like wait but then what yeah <laughs> so when i was about like 14 or 15 i have very bad eyesight mm-hmm. let it be known i have i am At the time I was not as bad. Now I have like negative nine in one eye and that's for contacts for glasses. It's higher. Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) basically like very blind. Yeah. And um, I remember as a kid, I was like 15. I got up to go to the bathroom. My parents sleep with their door open Mm -hmm. um, because they have pets that go in and out. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're like standing in the hallway right next to the Beanie Baby case um, (laughs) and you look to my parents' bedroom um, you can see, like, they have, like, a TV stand and, yeah. like, the bed is, like, across. Uh, you don't see the bed from from the door. Yeah. Uh, and so I got up to go to the bathroom. And I remember walking into the hallway. I didn't have my glasses on. And I just see this, like, figure hunched. Yeah. Like, perched on top of my parents' television. Yeah. Staring at them. What I assume is them. Staring straight ahead.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's just well, there One of them is having sleep paralysis. <laughs> and I'm seeing <laughs> it. And you get to see it. <laughs>
1: so a little known fact, when you experience sleep paralysis, there
2: is Everyone a, gets to see it. Yeah, there like, is a there, manifestation. There is a manifestation.
1: <laughs> there is um, some kind of specter, some ghostly yeah. um, creature. But it's
2: okay because it's your brain. It's, your, it's, it's just your
1: brain. It's sleep paralysis. <laughs> um, and so I remember seeing that and like it was the exact same feeling of her staring into that dark cardboard house yeah. where I was like staring at it and I was like, like my brain was like compute, compute, mm-hmm. compute, you know, where mm-hmm. like, you know what? Like, sometimes you're like out in the dark at night and you see what you think is a man. And then as you get closer and you're it's, certain it's a man.
2: Yeah, it's something else. And it's a
1: trash can or yeah. something. So, like, I'm seeing that and my brain's like, and literally computed it to be a fucking gray gremlin person punched, <laughs> staring at my parents. Yeah. And I was just frozen, frozen in place, staring. And I couldn't not look. And it reminds me, and this is like a little different, but we actually didn't cover the masturbation scene. Oh yeah. That shit was crazy. That was really scary. So she's like masturbating in her parents' bed, the older sister and the younger sister walks in. And it's also very sad because she's like, I can still hear the voices. I can still hear them. Like Mm -hmm. nothing drowns them out. And she like looks and she's like, I know I shouldn't look. And I kind of know on some level what she's doing. And I know that it's like wrong, even though it's not technically wrong, but like whatever. And she like, She's like, I knew I shouldn't look between her legs, but like I had to. Yeah. And so I like went closer and looked and then I got really scared because there's blood everywhere. Yeah. And I ran away. And that part was scary too. When Mm -hmm. she like knocks on the door and she's like, mom, something's wrong. Mom's like, I can't hear you. Yeah. And then she turns and Marjorie's right there and she's like, I can still hear them. Mm -hmm. And then she pisses and shits and collapses. Yeah. And then she's rubbing it all over herself.
2: Yeah. Oh my God. Why? Why did you bring that up? Related to your grem or er, gargoyle thing? <laughs> the gargoyle doing so that. So anyway, the gargoyle was masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously,
1: blood everywhere. <laughs> um, no, it was that feeling of I was like, I should not be looking at this, but like I oh, can't yeah. stop. Yeah, I cannot stop staring at this because deep down, even though I'm horrified and scared, my brain is like, "What is this?" Yeah, I gotta I figure out to what it is. is. And I freaked out and I leave. I go into my bedroom and I just sit on my bed and I'm like thinking, I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then I come back out and I look again.
2: Glasses on yet? No. (laughs) Nope. Didn't think to do. Didn't Didn't think think to to get clear vision.
1: It's still there. Yeah. And I'm like, what? It hasn't moved. It's not doing anything. What the fuck? Yeah. And I go back into my bedroom and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I don't know what to do like I want to help my parents but also I'm scared like what do I do? Yeah. Then I put on my glasses and I look and it's gone. But also I did <laughs> not see what could have made that shape. Interesting. So, but granted I am so blind. <laughs> yeah. That things like, you know, uh things appear much larger and like
2: Yeah.
1: I don't know how to describe how blind I am. It's just like shapes,
2: I guess, like blurry shapes. So, what what about the um last podcast on the left exorcism stuff?
1: They were saying so they were saying like um that your body can actually do things.
2: Like you can have like a lot of strength whenever you have like a burst of adrenaline. I know well, that.
1: Literally like contortions and things. Yeah. So like you it is scientifically proven that like your body can actually do things and withstand things. But your brain stops it from happening. Right. Because it's you like This shouldn't that, happen. Yeah but your body can do these things right. if your brain is shut off. And so in moments of high distress where your brain is literally fucking shut off because someone is exorcising you, mm-hmm. fucking waterboarding you, fucking torturing you, yeah. Your brain shuts off and your body does things.
2: And there's shit that you will your brain will tell you stop doing this cuz it hurts so bad. Yeah. But with like enough adrenaline or during yeah. shock or whatever, you're not feeling, you're pain. Not feeling it. You're not experiencing yeah. pain so you can just Contort your body in yeah, different ways. Exactly. That makes total sense.
1: And then a lot of those people die. Yeah. Or get hurt. Or whatever.
2: Right. Or are never for the same not again. having like the limitations that your brain puts there. For yeah. You. And just
1: like sustained torture. Yeah. It's wild. Sad. Really sad. Yeah.
2: Every I have always believed this, like every exorcism is complete bullshit. That's just a person <laughs> going through some stuff. Yeah. And maybe they're they want attention. Maybe they don't want attention. This is the wrong way to handle it.
1: Yeah. Well, because also like i said about coerced confessions right mm-hmm. like that's like someone's telling you telling you telling you and you're just like fuck maybe yeah maybe i'm possessed and also like if you are in a situation where like no one's talking about whatever mental thing you're going through yeah so you don't have the vocabulary or taxonomy or like whatever to identify what it is or yeah. even framework
2: it's just such a stupid ancient idea exorcisms, that, like, i know yeah you're being you're being crazy yeah, there's probably something inside of you that we can't see.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna Bible it out of you. Yeah, <laughs> like what are you talking about?
1: Yeah, it is. There is could it actually, be my
2: hormones or something? Or yeah, like, <laughs> something that we actually have for sure. Have you read my best friend's
1: exorcism? No,
2: but I remember you telling me it's about it. So good. Yeah,
1: and that is actually an exorcism. Like the best friend is possessed yeah. by the, by a demon, but it's really funny. Like so the the best friend is like she's like what do we do like we have to find someone to help yeah and they find like and i think maybe you would have framework framework for this like growing up kind of in a place where a lot of people are religious in the south yeah the like buff guys that like rip phone books in half for jesus oh yeah so it's like oh yeah he, they hire one of those, those guys, guys. <laughs> yeah and he like comes out and he's like all right brother we're gonna do this yeah and he like he like rips
2: phone books in half and like is like calling upon jesus he's like like bending in half like a cast iron pan. Yes, yes, yes. And he's like, you know how I can do that. Yeah, through, uh, the Lord Jesus the Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's <laughs> that bow. guy. Let's bow, let's bow, brother. Yeah, and he like
1: <laughs> it has like a mullet and like he's wearing like short denim shorts, like because yeah. it's in the nineties. Yeah. Um. So he's just like marching around like doing exorcisms on this girl, and like obviously it does not work. Yeah. Uh, and so she has to do a different type of exorcism, but that book is so so good. Yeah. We covered it on this show. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. I mean, if you haven't read that book, please read it. I might I give feel it a like, read.
2: Huh? I might give it a read.
1: You should. I, I honestly think you'll like it. It's very funny. Yeah. And like just for that character alone, that like Bible tearing. Because mm-hmm. Also, he's not evil. He just doesn't get it. Yeah. He's like, sorry, bud. But like you ripping this phone book is not going <laughs> to
2: exorcise my best friend. That demon's like, oh. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> the demon just comes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh fuck! <laughs> I <laughs>
1: um, but I think like the modern like gods of horror, like writers and creators. To me, Paul Tremblay, mm-hmm. Grady Hendrix. Forgive me if I'm missing anyone. Oh, uh, st-
2: the guy, Graham the tutor, uh, Stephen-, Stephen Graham Jones. Morris?
1: No, no, that's Stephen Ray Morris. <laughs> Stephen Ray Morris. <Mormon. laughs> um, Stephen Graham Jones.
2: Stephen Graham Jones. I said that. Yeah,
1: you did say that. I'm sorry. I said
2: Stephen Ray Jones. Oh.
1: <laughs> um, and I I feel like those are like yeah. the the
2: the really yeah good that ones. was good that was good I really like the um psychological horror. Oh genre.
1: um uh S- Sylvia Moreno Garcia as well
2: I mm. think she's really good. Okay.
1: Um, but yeah, th- this was I was very love. Good. Sad horror.
2: It was very good. Yeah, it was very sad.
1: It was very sad. Did you get misty at all? No, you don't. You don't get misty about. I
2: don't right? really get misty. Misty and from stories. I don't, I'm not, I'm kind of a I I'm a non-empath. <laughs> what do they call that? A Psycho sociopath. So <laughs> okay, cool. No, I uh, I did not. But uh, it was sad. So you were like, yeah, I was like this.
1: You, <laughs> you were just doing nothing for me. <laughs> I'm trying to cons- think about what you
2: were... <laughs> here. I. It, I experience sadness, but I don't have like physical reactions to it.
0: What the fuck? Do you fuck? know what I mean?
2: So what do you what happens inside of you? I don't know. Like I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. I go, oh shucks.
1: Wait, so like do you like what? So like there's no fit. you've blocked it. No. You blocked it. No. You did. I think it
2: just has to be like real. Stories don't really get me. You know what I mean?
1: It has to be real. But like you can't imagine so like. Okay. No, I can. And so if, if I was walking around outside, mm-hmm. and I tripped and I fell into a big hole,
2: I'd cry, dude. I'd, <laughs> yeah, that's real. And if well, I well, I don't know. First of all, I'd see if you're okay. I'd
1: fall. <laughs> I fell on my bones. Some... I would just
2: sit down and cry.
1: <laughs> and <then> I'm fine. <laughs>
2: yeah, or like you're dead and I'm not doing anything. You're just crying. Yeah, You'd
1: instantly cry. <laughs> or
2: like you're you're about to die and I could save you, but instead I'm sitting ten feet away crying. That's like some shit that would happen in heavy. See, and that's why I don't cry. It's fight or flight for me, and I fight.
1: <laughs> Am I crying?
2: No, I, I'm saying oh, I don't. Oh. oh. Um, no, but. It's so, what
1: happened? I don't understand what happens inside of you. Like, what are the thoughts in your head?
2: Like, wow, this is really well written and this is really sad. Oh. But, like, I'm also. Th- I think it's that I'm always like thinking about the creator and like, mm. damn, well created guy, Paul. Oh. Good job, Paul. Paul T. Yeah. Um, which reminds me that it's not real. And then I'm uh. less sad by that. See,
1: I like read it and then i'm like oh my god like what if that was me and like yeah. i was there yeah. and like i think about uh, naturally that.
2: yeah naturally
1: like someone that
2: of course i do that too but- so you're just
1: like uh, uh-uh. oh
2: yeah i guess <laughs> that's so funny i think it's maybe that i hate myself enough that i'm like damn if that was me i deserve it
1: yeah i was just gonna <laughs> say that you think you deserve it you're like well honestly
2: yeah i had it coming
1: i probably should have pooped and peed in that hallway
2: <laughs> yeah. i should have been <laughs> No, I won't say
1: that. yeah, I should not have been jacking off <laughs> in my parents' been jerking bed. Jerking
2: it so bad
1: <laughs> in my parents' bed, and then pooping and peeing in the hallway. Yeah, um,
2: it was a good book. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much for doing the show. Yeah. Um, I was really I because I I I think it was that like I really wanted to like talk to you about the book. Yeah, and I was like, what is the way that I can make him read it? Although that's not true. You do take recommendations
2: often. Yeah. It's yeah. just you don't have a
1: lot of time.
2: I don't have a lot of time. Uh, I would like to have more time to read books, but um, I'm too busy reading articles. I'm too busy
1: reading pamphlets, and
2: pamphlets, articles, uh, journals,
1: mm-hmm. different journals. Yeah, like people's journals. Peer, like you, you go into people's I, houses and yes, steal their peer-reviewed.
2: I am the peer. I do the reviewing of their personal journals. <laughs> journals.
1: There should be. I think that's an idea for something. It could be called peer reviewed and you have people submit their journals to you and you say how boring their journal is. (laughs) Yeah, You're like 10 out of 10 boring.
2: Your journal is officially peer reviewed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of
2: course. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Uh,
2: not really. No. What about our podcast? Oh yeah. What even is this podcast? Mm -hmm. As we mentioned at the top, uh, Kelly's in that. Uh huh. Kelly, Brennan, my love Meredith McNeil. We, uh, Every episode, we figure out what the podcast is, so yeah. it's kind of ever-changing. We New don't really know what it's going to be. It's very fun. It's really fun. Drops every Monday, yeah? Mm-hmm. Great.
1: So check that out. Um, where can people find you online?
2: Twitter. Okay. Search my name. Lucas Eubank. Lucas Eubank. Instagram. I don't know. Everything. Every app. Yeah. Don't, don't find me on Facebook. Ugh. Yeah, I got like 20 friends on there, and I'm keeping it that way. <laughs> I can't expand my Facebook. It's very stressful.
1: Well, if anyone ever, like, adds me on Facebook, I'm like delete yeah (laughs) like i like just because of the nature of the platform
2: i don't get what's going on with that platform anymore i'll like sometimes just jobs
1: that's what yeah exactly i'll get
2: a message from my mom so i get on there and i somehow like four have 400 notifications and i only follow 20 people (laughs) and it'll be like so and so posted something for the first time in a while and i'm like that's not a notification yeah i know so anyway i hate it so yeah don't follow me on facebook follow me everywhere else that
1: would be so funny if it's like Uh, like where can people find you online like you can find me on Facebook well you can you can add me on
2: Facebook Uh, send me a message over there (laughs) Uh, yeah DM me on, chat me on poke me on Facebook I'm posting videos on Facebook Uh, they get a lot of views so
1: (laughs) is anyone a Facebook creator they were who when where
2: huh a few years ago do you not know about
1: this no I don't follow
2: well I'm sure they are still like Facebook creators but there was like a big thing where Facebook paid a lot of like gaming people to move over and that, to Facebook. I remember that, actually. I remember yeah. that. I remember and they that. inflated Facebook their live. numbers. Yes, 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 yes. And there was a big lawsuit against them because their numbers were fake.
1: Yeah, I recall this. Okay. Well, I'm stretching, <laughs> which means it's the end of the episode. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And thank you again to Lucas Eubank for joining me. Thank you, um, thank you so much uh, to our Patreon listeners. Patreon.com slash Creeps. We've got a lot of really cool stuff on there for you. Lindsay and I uh, just covered... Um, this is How You Lose the Time War, which is a movie that, or a book that made me cry 100,000 times. And uh, I highly recommend you read it and check out the episode, patreon.com slash Um, A very special thank you to our Patreon producers who give it the $15 a month level. Thank you, Adam Howitz, Amanda K, Amy T, Anne Dwyer, Caitlin L, Carrie Ham, Charlie B, Courtney McPhail, Danielle Amana, Danny B, Drew Ruanis, Ellie Lagos, Emma, Emma M, Erin B, Gabriela Santiago, Gwendolyn Ludovic, Hannah L., Jason H., Jeremy Kronk, Jeremy Goodfellow and Marco Pavlicich, Jesse T., Jessica Smith-Harper, Jessica U, Jonathan Venable, Kat Miller, Katie Olsner, Keith Anderson, Kelly Burns, Carrie N., Coy, Landry Desmond, Laring Wynn Laura Hooper, Matthew M., Megan Lozier, Melody, Micah Eunice, Miguel Camacho, Miranda Hester, Molly G., Molly Marks, Noah Spargo, Nora Orion, Rachel C., Rashad Black, Randy Klett, Rebecca Goss, Robert F, Rogue Kalahua, Sasha Gibson, Shannon P, Sylvie T, Victoria Beck, and Whitney E. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate you. Um, and we will catch up with you guys next week where we are covering Sweet Valley High crash landing with Ryan Mogi, where Enid is involved in a plane crash. <laughs> so we will see what happens with that. Um, thank you again to Lucas Eubank. Thank you, Kelly. You're welcome, Lucas. Uh, we will see you guys next week. Until then, keep it creepy.
0: Forever
2: Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Kelly Nugent, Lindsay Katai, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Dog. and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com.